Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. You're listening to episode number 568. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. Now, since my voice is shot, we have such sights to show you. Aaron Amos is here. Hello, hello. And Bronwyn Kelly Say is also here. Happy Halloween! Yeah. So, this week's episode is our spooky Halloween special. As you know, we here at Talking Comics love the spooky season, and there's no better way to celebrate the fleeting weeks of autumn than with a visit from the twisted twins, Jen and Sylvia Saska. They'll be joining us later in the show to discuss new horrific delights that they're cooking up, including a new comic book and the upcoming release of their latest film, on the edge. I will warn you, this week's episode <laughs> is probably the most explicit one we've ever recorded. You're welcome. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bronwyn. <laughs> Say that one more time. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Seriously, though, if you are bothered by conversations about kink culture or sexual acts, or murder, <laughs> you um in combination, yeah, in yeah, combination. Yeah. It's it, we've already recorded it. It's an absolutely incredible episode. Jen and Sylvia always bring really great energy to this show. We cannot be more grateful than to have them on again to talk with us about new stuff that they're creating. Bob put together a tremendous interview oh, with them. I I urge all of you to. Tune in and enjoy the ride because it definitely is one. <laughs> not safe for work unless yeah, you have headphones. Yeah, <laughs> not safe for work. And like, if you're listening to this in the car, you might no, no, it. not safe for the car with kids. No, right? Like, daddy, sure. daddy, what does blankety blankety blank mean? No, yeah. um, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, this episode is is a lot. It definitely goes to places. Um, but again, we urge you all to listen. We had a blast talking with them as we always do. And, uh, who knows? Maybe you'll broaden your horizons a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but before we get to all of that good times, we are going to have an abbreviated show where we're just going to hit up some lightning rounds so that we can talk about comics on a comic book podcast. Uh, and then we're going to play the Saskas interview for you and get out of here. So, uh, without further ado, I would love for Aaron to kick things off this time. Yeah. I'm doing my stretches. Okay. 
Stretch it out, buddy. All right. Where am I? Okay. So you might see I added one more thing to the the outline, by the way, as I'm going through here. So How don't be surprised you. if I keep, you know, rambling on after you think I'm going to wrap Go for it. it. But so the first thing I'm going to do this in this order because I feel like, you know, it's just a good order to go through. They all flow together. You'll kind of see a theme. So first thing, once in future, uh, 24 through 30. And I'm bringing these up because it is the final arc of Once in Future by oh, Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. <laughs> yeah, I guess 30 is the magic number. Um, and it was just a, a real treat to be able to go through that last arc essentially in one sitting uh, and just sort of get that whole story um, and see the progression and the growth. Um, I'll probably have a little bit more to say about them when I'm done going through sort of a little bit of a recap, but I, I just wanted to, to sort of give this story, this overarching story, as well as this final arc, it's due. Um, just to recap for everyone, the story really is about stories, for that matter, coming to life because of an evil Merlin. Um, really wanting to capture his yesteryear uh, with his Arthur. A problem is, as as with all stories, there's interpretation. Um, and that sort of splinters off into a variety of different perils that our heroes, uh, Bridget, Duncan, and Rose, are out to do battle with. So again, at this, as we start this arc, uh, the three of our heroes, Bridget, Duncan, and Rose, are at their breaking point, and they basically need to shift things up. They need to buy some time. Enter Robin Hood, basically to keep our group of our author, Arthurs busy. You know, but as with all things, they have to make a deal. And with all deals, there's a cost. And so they're sort of sucked into a little bit of a, you do for me, I'll do for you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this involves some time jumps, some weird adventures, some, you know, very intricate stories with a lot of details um, that you really have to sort of keep, uh, keep pace with. Um, you have parallel storylines. You have adventure. You have drama, family drama, love drama. You know, basically all in one. Um, and then you get a little bit of a sword and stone type situation as, as well. So you can find out who the, I'm using air quotes, real king is. Um, but we are going through this story and it is just one thing after the other after the other. And they are on this, you know, breakneck pace to sort of get to the finish line. And that finish line is basically avoiding this identification of the true king. Having one of the Arthurs figure out who the real Arthur is, which essentially means death and ruin to the world. Um, and our team is basically running against time, trying to put put in place as many roadblocks and intricate barriers as they possibly can. We get to a point, however, where unexpectedly a little daughter-mommy issue break uh, breaks away for a truce <laughs> that, oh. that sort of uh, in the line of uh, the enemy of my enemy, et cetera, et cetera, gotcha. um, and sort of has adds another layer to this story here. Uh, but basically with the fate of the world hanging in the balance and a very intricate plan that's put together by my favorite old lady, uh, Bridget, um, uh, things are sort of beginning to fall into place or are they some very unexpected (gasps) turns, some very, you know, some, some consequences, some costs. I, I just really, this, this, this story, this whole story, as well as this specifically, this final arc should be held as a real testament to what you can do when you give a creator the room to breathe. And by creator, I mean not just the writer, but also the artist. Yes. Give them the room to breathe, the room to create, 
and the room to tell a full and complete story because the intricacy of this story, um, the intelligence of this story. Hey, uh, <laughs> sometimes I, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it challenged me because I Can I? I don't know yeah. all of these stories the way that you know <laughs> look them up. Reference. Yeah, you had to sort of can look I, them up I and go in? back. Yeah. No. You had to go back and (laughs) just sort of put it all together and understand what the pieces mean. And if you don't know, you don't know. Uh, But you really had to do some work here. It wasn't sort of just, you know, these these are one of the few books that I can honestly say you can't run through them in 10 minutes and then – you know, no. take it all in. You, you got to really pay attention. And just the fact that he stayed with it, he had this through line, he had this thread, he had this incredible group of characters, specifically Bridget, that, you know, was really just the centerpiece of the story. I think it was amazing. This is one of those, I know we say this all the time, but these are one of these stories that I would love to see a limited run series for. I would love to see maybe a three season series for i don't want i I wouldn't want to see it go off into the you know i want to see the story told as it's written um but put to life and given the the budget and the timeline the timing to be able to create it the way that it was created by this by by karen gillen and dan Moore, and i think just the coloring just the 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 character you know visions all that stuff was just great you really did have just so many intricate pieces. I mean, if you really just count them up, you had the whole Beowulf, you had the Arthurs, you had the, you the, know, green, knight. the, yeah. the green, exactly, the Green Knight. You, you, it's just so many different stories that just somehow, like I said, Robin just all blended into one, and it really just, it, it really did just, the, the ending didn't disappoint. It really did culminate in a great story that you can really read from beginning to end and really just enjoy. I honestly, you can read this as a novel um, almost. So I, I, I am really just loving this. Um, go ahead, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I also, once you were all talking in the chat about finishing this, I went ahead and I read it myself and you were talking about some of the challenges that come with once in future. I felt like uncultured swine yesterday while reading this book. There are, I'm familiar with the characters, but only in an osmosis level. So there's so many rules to all of these stories and the way that they talk about these characters and what is necessary to carry out the plan. Like I took screenshots of one particular page where they listed off kind of all the ingredients that they needed to um, kind of win the day. And it was, you know, we need this character, the stand-in for that character and that character. And at some point, I lost the plot, but (laughs) definitely enjoyed the ride regardless. And this is just a case of me needing to go back to the beginning and read it again. Uh, all the way through without stopping just well, to absorb just everything. You had a variety of scenarios. You had a scenario where one person was multiple characters, where there are multiple versions of a single character, mm-hmm. um, all sort of adding and changing and morphing the story. So it did really become, you know, very, you had one character that was supposed to be three characters. In one. <laughs> so you're sort of like, yeah, there, there was a lot going on there. And, and I'll be honest, I did have to go back and, and sort of, because I hadn't caught up on all of them at the time, I, I had to yeah. go back and re- refresh myself as to where we left off with the story. So, 
Um, lastly, go ahead. For good, for good or ill, I only caught up with this after Aaron and Sarah were talking about this book. So mm-hmm. I was buying it in trade. And it's a wonderful read, trade by trade, in that mm-hmm. you get five or six issues and the plot threads move forward and sideways, but they happen mm-hmm. in a in a really balanced sort of way. Not that the book doesn't do that issue to issue, but it's 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 easily digested in a way. But mm-hmm. then you have to wait a year to get another one. Yeah. So right now I'm sitting on, you know, volume four or whatever, waiting for volume five, and it's no. I can't wait. This is one of the favorite things I've read in the time we've done talking comics. It is brilliant at every level. It is humorous adventure. It is deep. It is history. It's all the things you'd love a comic book to be in this day and age where you can do all these sort of things. And it's all right here. It's all right here by Kieran Gill and Dan Moore. As I put in the chat yesterday, uh, as I got to, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, as I got to issue 28, I was sitting in a ramen bar, and I almost fell out of my chair. Wow. And and literally spoke (laughs) out loud when I finished issue 28. I was like, duh. You know, I was like, don't break my my heart, Aaron. Don't break my heart. Brahman, when we were sitting on the couch in the living room and I gasped and you laughed at me, that's what he's talking about. Oh, okay. I was just like, <gasps> it really was. I, I was audible in this ramen bar, wow. sitting there with my, you know, chicken dumpling ramen. But um, yeah, I, I am going to miss this. I could honestly see myself, you know, reading this all the way through again. I'm very happy I got to meet Dan Mora at NYCC and yeah. get him to sign, a, you know, volume one. Um, having no idea what was to come in the, <laughs> the last volume. I, I kind of wish I had had an opportunity to read it in, the, in advance, but you know, I, it, it's just a pleasure. It's just one of those things. that's just a, pre- a pleasure to be able to step outside of the, you know, cause next week I'll probably be talking about AXE and X-Men again. So, you know, just prepare yourselves, but it's always good to be able to step outside <laughs> of that and move into this. And the last thing I want to talk about in my lightning round is Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. So I was able to get through that. Now, here's why I'm bringing these these two things together. Because as I just said, I want to be able to see Once in Future in a way that, you know, is respectful and is a limited series and is with attention paid to the quality. I look at Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and that's an example of what I'm talking about. Now, I don't know if everybody's been able to see it or at least see a portion of it, but I think the quality of the storytelling as well as the quality of the production value is is stellar for that show um i don't know what the budget for that show is but i know that was something that amazon didn't give and i kind of wonder if that's where the paper girls money went but i'm not going to start anything right oh, now. don't and don't don't that, it's, me up. <laughs> it's the most expensive show in television history mm-hmm. and there you have it it is beautiful um but at the same time as someone who will watch any one of the lord of the rings films you know, like I'm in some sort of hypnotic trance and I can't turn away. Um, this sort of gave me that same vibe. It's sort of like once I sort of put on an episode, I was sort of just there until the next episode and then the next episode and the next episode because the story engaged me. And there are enough characters to sort of engage you and there are enough different types of stories. I really think that show is special. And the finale uh, just aired um, and I really... You know, I, there are certain little nitpicky things probably here and there that I'm sure I could find. But overall, I really enjoyed that show. And I think everyone should take a look at it and um, demand the quality that, you know, we think these types of pieces of art deserve. Um, and I think that's an example of someone you won't hear me say this about Amazon a lot here. Just 
I will give them credit where credit is due. They did what needed to be done with Lord of the Rings. Whatever I want to say about the other things that they have done, comicsology, you bastards. But I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm, but they did what they needed to do with Lord of the Rings, and I really enjoyed that show from beginning to end. Sort of that establishment of relationships, the evolution of relationships, and then sort of the resolution of some things, and then some. I don't know if anyone's seen. There were some twists and turns in that finale that I quite honestly did not see coming. So I. It paid off. So I'm so excited to see it. We have to get caught up. Ah! It's yeah, that finale. <laughs> that yeah, that finale. Once again, I was just like, "What the?" Um, yeah, but I would stay offline if I were you because Instagram already ruined, already spoiled it. Oh. I mean, I'm not super spoiler phobic, but yeah, you. Probably I will wanna, avoid you them. experience that. Yeah, you I do really want to experience that one. Yeah, maybe yeah. we can uh, we can marathon it this coming weekend. Yeah. yeah. I would just say stay off of anything nerd related on online. Cause again, I, I had watched it and then oh, literally hard. this morning I'm like scrolling through Instagram and I'm like, well, damn, <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. Like right there. It's like, it's not, you can't even like turn away. Um, so yeah, just be careful. Noted. And and thank around. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Now who else wants to talk? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to double back really quick and say that I really enjoyed the final arc of Once and Future and that I agree with everything that you said. And I do think that it is an all-timer series, certainly within the time that we've been doing this show. It is special beyond measure. And what they've managed to achieve, like as much as I would love to see a live action interpretation of it just to, like depends on who's doing it, but just to see how it would work out. I think that Once in Future is one of those comic book things that really celebrates the comic book medium and what Mm -hmm. you can do Mm -hmm. in comics. Yeah. Um, And it's just, it's another Kieran Gillen joint where there's such a synergy between the creators on this book. It's, you know, everybody was in it. It was originally supposed to be a six issue mini or series and it got blown out to the 30 issue epic that it is now. And to think that everybody on the team remained and just yeah. kept on creatively leveling up yeah. throughout the, throughout the years that this has Completely been coming out. It, yeah. yeah. But um, I mean, everyone, every arc, I don't, I can't say that there was an arc that was disappointing. Each, each issue was just so fun, just so fun yeah, to thousand watch. Percent. And, and I have to say, I think if I'm if we're opening the doors to my Hall of Fame again, right next to Joe Mullen, I think we might put Bridget. I think. Oh, Bridget absolutely! Is, That's absolutely is one of those <laughs> those characters that you know I don't want to see anyone else try to write. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good you think you are. Some things should just stay where they are. Just let just let them be. And then that that's the thing, Aaron. It's the heartbreak of what happened with Paper Girls, mm-hmm. where we got an arc of live action that it wasn't completely faithful, but mostly faithful to the ideas. And then it's over and not coming back. That's worse than not doing it. Yep. Agreed. A hundred percent agree. So I tell you, if you're, if you're behind catch up on once in future. Oh, thanks. You're talking to me. Thank Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to binge that as well. (laughs) Yeah. If you're not, if you've never started it, you probably need to get on that real quick. So, you know, it's amazing. Absolutely, you, you will amazing. get lost. You'll get lost in the story, and you won't even realize that you're like twenty issues in, and you're oh, it's four o'clock in the morning. I should probably go yeah, 
I've done that's that. never happened to me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, For anyone who can't we, see it, that was epic side eye on my part. <laughs> yeah, we, we could ask Steve about that, and I think he disagrees. Yeah. <laughs> Come <right>. to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bob, I think you're going to go last okay. this time because I feel tie-ins. like the. Yeah, I th- there's some tie-in stuff, and I feel like that conversation okay. is going to go on for a little bit. So, Bronwyn. All right. Yes. Okay. Well, as is my want, I'm going to talk about Webtoons. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk <laughs> about The Hunt, because it is Halloween, and it is Halloween-y. <laughs> so Watch this your is- mouth. Watch your mouth. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the adult portion of the show yet. Halloweeny. <laughs> okay. That's better. Okay. Uh, this comic is by Elucid and it's amazing. This is, you know, the classic tale of boyhood, fr- boyhood friends who are separated as children and then find each other again in college. Their shared love of ghost hunting hasn't changed, at least not for Avery, but Reese's motivations are a little less clear. He went away a bit of a hoodlum and came back as Mr. Tall, Dark, Mysterious, and Flaming Hot. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Avery can't help but notice his new look, of course, and maybe some of his more unique qualities. Like, what even is Reese? What is happening in this town full of haunted asylums, zombie guards, witchy women, and disappearing people? A lot. A lot is happening. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds that way. Now, this comic is rated 18 plus for top-level spice. It is beautiful it's full of color it is adorable reese and avery are my otp at this stage and i love them but it is also full of ghosts and zombies and witches and oh my it's amazing every cryptid will show up here at some point i swear to god (laughs) it's very mysterious and there's something going on where nobody notices that everything is very mysterious Eerie so, Indiana. Yes. We go back uh, 30 years or so to a weird television show, but I lo- right? I'm loving what you're saying here. This is great. It's a lot it's of fun. It's, a, it's just like, it, it, they're just they're just going on with their day as people disappear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch them like cross off, cross people off the class roster. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, oh, yo, man. okay, you know, this is just yeah. the thing that happens. It's really good. I love it a lot. I love um, the color palette of it. I'm looking at... Uh, some of the sample pages on Google. It's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. Also, so if you want to read it censored, read it on Webtoons, and then it is a little bit more safe for work. Um, but if you don't want to read it censored and you are 18+, plus, you can go to thehuntcomic.com and um, it will be uncensored there. So, what, not for the faint of heart. What kind of level of spice are we talking about here? Fully spicy. Spice? Oh. <laughs> Five alarms. Last last dab spicy? (laughs) Yep. 100% all the way last dab. Okay. Wow. All right. Yep. Yep. So, you know, if you want your full frontal, and I recommend it, (laughs) go to thehuntcomic.com. It's great. (laughs) Did did you know we were talking about this before we spoke to Jen and Sylv? I did. (laughs) Okay, good. Perfect. Perfect then. Yeah, it's great. Tie-in. It's a (laughs) tie-in. Um, my second book is called Eternal Nocturnal by Instant Miso. And this is E-E-E-A-T-E-R-N-A-L for Eternal. 
uh, which comes in later as important. So you get to meet Eve, a 20-something with less direction than she'd like, or rather less direction than her mother would like. She's trying to get a job and be a success. There are really only two problems. She's most passionate about singing, and her mom hates that as a career option. And she's a chronic insomniac, to the point where it severely impacts her life and performance at, like, quote-unquote, day jobs. So lack of sleep makes her resting bitch face worse, her (laughs) performance at work perfunctory at best, and is basically ruining her life. But her work problems do start to clear up a little when her friend and internet personality, Cherry, hires Eve as a ghost singer. But it's her insomnia cure that really starts to make things interesting in the form of N, the dream eater who visits her, allowing her to sleep deeply and restfully while he consumes her dreams. Little does Eve know, though, that N is connected to her in the waking world as well. How will it pan out? Will she ever sing for herself? Will N reveal his true identity? Keep reading. (laughs) What a pitch. What a pitch. You should do this for a living. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) And sorry for the dramatic dropping of my phone charger that creates all this noise in the background. Oh, all good. All good. I think it just added to the ambiance, actually. Yes. But again, this is so beautiful. It's just really pretty anime style art. Um, the, the the creator, Instant Miso, says, I just like to draw, you know, nice stories and abs. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? Exactly. And you get both of these things in Eternal Nocturnal. It's lovely. It's very sweet. It's, um, you know, a story about a girl finding herself and um, learning about what makes a friendship a real friendship and what how to connect with people when she's not somebody who connects easily um, and has found herself sort of drifting as much because of her lack of direction as because of her sort of um, constant state of tired. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's the thing. This is why, and it's all media, it's why novels work. It's why movies work and it's why comics should work. It's depth of characterization. It's those levels and layers. And if it's just people doing stuff or being each other up because they're superheroes, no, tell me why. Tell me the wherefores. Give me the reasons behind it, and I'm in. It doesn't matter then where where it's published, where it's at, and this sounds – you have two winners here as far as I'm concerned, Broman. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I I think, Bob, that you would really, really, like, I think you'll like both of them, but I think you'll actually really like Eternal Nocturnal especially because there's just some gorgeous, gorgeous art when you get into her dreams and you get to sort of explore the the dream world. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They're really neat. Awesome. I love it. Add it to the list. Damn it. Yeah. So many webtoons to catch up on. It's ridiculous. It's true. But this one, at least, the, there's not quite the same backlog as some of the others. This one's got like 36 or 40 episodes okay. or something. So it's not like huge. Like, they're they're good, hefty episodes, but it's not insane. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you, you and Chris have given me a couple that are, oh, it's only 557 episodes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. okay, that's as many issues as Spider-Man. All right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Got a time out. Time out. <laughs> I did just catch up with 54 issues or episodes of uh, Wayne Family Adventures. Worth it, right? Oh, so much fun. Oh my God, I love that book so so much. much Absolutely one of the best Batman books out there right now. Best Batman book. 
Ooh. far none. Ooh. Turn away. Bold statement. Full Bold stop. Statement. Fight, Bob. I think you would fall in love with Wayne Family Adventures. I think it's the things that you have been missing and wanting from a bat book. Because I know, I know you have bat fatigue. Like there's no tomorrow. This book is so wholesome and so joyful. Mm -hmm. And you just you there's there's emotional moments too, but for the most part, it's very lighthearted, very jokey. And written exceptionally well. Love that. I haven't felt that since the DCU days of Gotham Academy and the Batgirl of Burnside. Yes. That's been missing from my reading since then. I so, honestly, I Bob, you have to read this and try okay. it and get back to me. We will have deep talks because there. I don't think there's been an episode of Wayne Family Adventures I haven't laughed out loud. Cool. Writing it down right now. Again, there you go. <laughs> it's very good. It's so good. And for something of that quality to be free and so yeah. accessible, like that's just, yeah. Fantastic. All right. I'm going to do a lightning round now. I'm going to talk to you about Follow Me Down, a reckless book presented oh. by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. The fifth, I could not believe, I thought it was four, the fifth installment of the Reckless series finds Ethan doing another favor for an old friend. This time, the case involves locating Rachel, who's gone missing, and the trail of bodies that lead to her whereabouts. It doesn't take long for Ethan to locate Rachel and become mixed up in her plot for revenge against a group of men who assaulted her years before when the story takes place. One of the reasons that I love Reckless is because Brubaker and Phillips are smart about depicting violence in this series. They show you what's necessary, then leave the rest to your imagination. In the case of Follow Me Down, the violence inflicted on Rachel is shared through a letter that Ethan reads, and a clever panel layout obscures even the contents of that letter. The book knows that I'm smart enough to know what happened, without having to be graphic and insensitive about the event. There's also a delicious twist in the story, showing where Ethan draws the line and is willing to go against his own unwritten code as a fixer in a world overrun by criminal scum. I found Follow Me Down to include more, like, let's say low stakes other than the other entries in the series, but it's an excellent examination of Ethan and how the right person can shatter the walls he's built around himself. Um, there's a part of me that feels like the Reckless series could go on forever, but there are things in this story that have me thinking that we might be reaching the end of this road. Um, I'd love to get other people's take on that after they've read uh, the new book. Looking at you, John and Joey. Uh <laughs> It's it's great. It's another fantastic chapter of that series. I like that world. I like the character. Um, I do want to talk to some other people that have read it, though, because I have questions. Uh, the other thing that I'll talk about real quick is a, is a comic that needs no introduction on this podcast. Do a Powerbomb, number five. Words and art by Daniel Warren Johnson. Colors by Mike Spicer. And letters by Russ Wooten. At this point, there isn't much to say about Do a Powerbomb that won't spoil it for people waiting for the trade, but this is a big one, folks, this issue. 
our heroes, Sun and Steel, face off against Fuck Your Stupid Opinions, a wrestling <laughs> duo, each with their own reasons for entering Necroton's deathmatch wrestling competition. Sorry, that was a lot of words. Um, this issue is filled with surprises and setbacks and a devastating set of final pages that will have you questioning the trajectory of the final two issues that are yet to come. There's a reason that several of us on this podcast have championed this series since it began five issues ago. Daniel Warren Johnson hasn't hit this hard since Murder Falcon. And I don't think any other series this year has grabbed a hold of me like Do a Powerbomb has. The prize for winning the tournament is the resurrection of a loved one. And the story has often led me to think about my dad, who I used to watch wrestling with back in the day. And I'm sitting there and I'm asking myself, would I enter Necroton's tournament for a chance to bring him back? Is someone's reason for being in the tournament greater than mine? You know, what, what, sorry, I'm getting caught up. What if it was the life of a child someone was fighting for rather than someone who lived for 54 years? Um, That was how old my dad was when he passed. Would I still want to fight? You know, like, would I give up my dream of bringing him back to, for someone else? Who who Um, lost their three-year-old child or whatever. Sure. Wow. What a, what a moment. You know, what are the circumstances of that? What happens when you get to know your opponents and you learn their stories and their stories are bigger than yours? Um, If that's even possible, it's, it's wild. So do a power bomb makes me think of these things. It's pretty heavy at times, but as we all know, that's my bread and butter, uh, when it comes to comics and do a power bomb has just hit on every level for me from the beginning. And it continues to be amazing. And issue number five, I think was probably the biggest like, Oh shit issue since the end of number two. So if you're reading along, you know, if you got to catch up, catch up. This is a, this is a really big issue for this series. And uh, I absolutely love it. So that was Follow Me Down, the latest Reckless book, and Do a Power Bomb number five, and I am done. Shaws a damn. Any other questions? Anybody else caught up with Do a Power Bomb? Aaron? I, I'm not caught up with it. I think I have four and five to read. <sighs> Yeah, big stuff man big stuff yeah. i think three was the last one i was able to get to you'll enjoy it you'll enjoy them. it i just haven't read them yep it's everything that you that we've talked about and that you love about the series just it just ratcheting up another level i was yeah, actually wait, did uh, I read four i think i read four i know we talked actually it's interesting we talked about it at the table at, at the algonquin uh and you see because actually uh trish and troy were we, I, I, we were sort of going through the whole, hey, have you read this? Have you read that? Have you read this? Because I think Troy was getting back into reading books and Do a mm-hmm. Power Bomb is one that we came up with. And I think we said, I think Carolyn was even um, sort of looking at me like, really? Wrestling? And I was just like, if you get to the end of was it issue two and yeah. you don't feel something, you're dead inside. Yes, I remember <laughs> that. Yes, you said that. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so that's all I'm saying. So we may have pushed some new readers onto it. We'll see. Yeah, because we were talking about Murder Falcon is about rock and roll, except no, it's not when you dive into it. So absolutely so. Yeah, when you – Daniel Warren Johnson is really good at delivering twists and and big reveals akin to like someone like uh, Brian K. Vaughn or Kieran Gillen. He just – 
he has that magic that where you don't see it coming and you turn the page and you just say like mouth agape. Oh my God. The story just changed and, and became something else. And that is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fight for a loved one in this, but like, it's just so dynamic with all the wrestling stuff. And once you learn about the other people in the tournament and why they are there, uh, it's just, it's really, really hard to know who to root for, even though we already have our team and struggling with that while reading this latest issue was something that I haven't felt in a while from a comic book. And it was really nice to experience that. So do a power bomb is special. And that's it. All right, Bob, take us out here. Okay. A couple of things really quickly. So as not to spoil too much. The She-Hulk Attorney at Law finale was absolutely the most shulky of the series, with the fourth wall not only broken, but frankly, obliterated. Somewhere in Connecticut, John Byrne is smiling. (laughs) Now, just as She-Hulk's finale has its signature moments, Wonder Woman 792 by Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Marguerite Sauvage, and Pat Rousseau featured an amazing sequence that was perfectly Diana in its character where perhaps an old adversary can be made a friend. Look, I've had my quibbles with this book, generally not the fault of the creators. I mean, there's events, there's stuff to do, it's DC, blah, blah, blah. But when this Clune and Conrad run gets it right, it is magical. And this is absolutely that. Love Love Everlasting number three by Tom King, Elsa Chartier, Matt Hollingsworth, and Clayton Cowles. Seems to be following one story thread until things go sideways again. I thought I might finally be catching on to what the deal is with Joan and her various love interests. But Mr. King and Ms. Chartier not only pulled the rug out from under me, but they took out the floorboards too. I'm loving this. I've got no idea what's going on anymore. Uh, (laughs) I'm in. I'm just completely in. Fantastic 448, David Pepos, Juan Cabal, Jesus Arbutov, Joe Carmagna, was the wrap-up of a wonderful two-parter where Oubliette Midas takes control of the Baxter building in order to siphon off Reed's knowledge, but she has not counted on the powerful resolve of Sue Storm. David Pepos lays out the strengths of all of the Fantastic Four as they battle to find a way through all this mess, with each having a moment in the spotlight. But this is Sue's issue all the way, and here's hoping there's more FF in David Pepos' future. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Neighbor of the Submariner, Unconquered Shores number one. It is Christopher Cantwell, Pasquale Ferry, Matt Hollingsworth, and Joe Carmagna. It takes place in a dystopian near future where the Cree have destabilized the Earth's climate, accelerating the melting of the polar ice caps, toxifying the air for decades. Atlantis is now the dominant nation on the planet, and with all the superheroes having gone to fight the Kree and not returned, things aren't looking good for what's left of the human race on the surface in what they call dry man's land. Mr. Pant- Mr. Cantwell, he tells a great story always, and he's perfectly captured the Namor that we can both admire and loathe at the same time. The art by Mr. Ferry just enhances every word just a great first issue across the board can't wait to see where this goes on 
And speaking of sea creatures, thanks to some enterprising YouTubers, I got to finally see It's Jeff, the digital series that Marvel's running on one of their Marvel-y things by Kelly Thompson and the Guri Hero team. <laughs> yes! And it's as delightful as you would imagine, particularly Yay! the story Shark Cycle, as Jeff ends up as a laundry day problem for Kate Bishop. Look, yes. I, I do hope that Marvel decides to, to publish this uh, physically as they did with Marvel Meow, because I'd buy half a dozen for these as gifts and for myself and everything else. Uh, come on, Marvel. Yeah, I know you have your digital thing, but I, I want a book. I want a book in my hand. Sorry, I'll go to YouTube for right now, and I won't mention their names. I don't want anybody to be thrown out of YouTube, but it, it's there if you look. I'm done. Are there Infinity Comics? That, that, uh, it's okay. Infinity Comics, yes. Yes, it is. Don't you have to pay for Infinity Comics? It's part of Marvel Unlimited. So okay, so you have to pay for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not I, said the little red hen. <laughs> I think. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to get it at all. They made such a big point of talking about it at NYCC, that how much effort and time they're putting into these incontinuity stories that are only on Infinity Comics and digital, but told at a, a level, a little bit more granular and street level than, mm-hmm. you know, your big events. But but it's, it's Jeff the Land Shark. Okay. This is a book for kids. It is all done silently. It's a lovely book that you could sell in the store in a little board book almost. That would be great for all readers, new and old and the seven-year-olds who might get something out of Jeff is really cute. And look, there's Captain Marvel and Captain America and whatever. Uh, you put that on, on the stands, people will buy that like mad. And then those seven-year-olds aren't doing that digitally, I don't think. Or maybe maybe it's just me. I don't do it digitally, and seven-year-olds do today. I Could be. Could be. I'm just That's old. I apologize. That's, <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, no, I honestly got, I didn't even know about Infinity Comics until they started talking about it right there. And I looked it up on my phone. I was like, oh, look at that. There it is. So, yeah. Harumph, I say. Yeah. <laughs> Get off my lawn, you kids, you digital <laughs> comics kids. Speaking of uh, digital comics, did you take the uh, membership dive with DC, Aaron? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I put it in the chat. I did it. Um, when, did, when did Joey come back? Was it Saturday? Uh, something um, like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I did it then because uh, there may be someone who uh, uses my account who pinged me. Let you know it's time to, to re-up. It was Amazing. Like, would you be willing to? I'm like, well, I guess I would. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. What a friend. What a that friend. is yeah. incredible, and I love yeah, that. <laughs> Got to keep my peoples in the books. So what can I say? This so let me, let me ask you that. that so the, the deal is, is that DC... Was it DC Infinite, it's called? DC Infinite Universe. Okay, DC, DC Infinite, Infinite Universe. Infinite. I'm sorry, DC Universe Infinite. Oh, my God. All right. This is happening November 1st, that they're moving to a, a monthly uh, model instead of a three-month. Actually, it's now. Is um, it really? Yeah. Yeah. Because oh. I was actually looking at, um, for example, they. Uh, I mean, if you go to the site, they have the things that are listed as ultra. It's, if you look and see the ultra tag, you'll see all the things that are from last month. So, for example, I was looking. I saw that issue three of what is it, Aquaman Andromeda, mm-hmm. uh, was coming out. So, and I haven't read the first two, and I went out looking. There they are, right out there on DC Universe. No way. Yep. 
So, you know, it's it's already out there. I that's what Joey the, uh, was saying. Joey's like, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing up with all these things. That's why I put in the chat. I'm like, well, it makes me really regret buying all those back issues. Uh, yeah. Right? Oh, that. no. So, you know. Yeah, we got to pull the trigger on that. Oh, we did. We already did. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I, I got it the other day. <laughs> excellent. 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 Well, I mean, you got to figure it's, I mean, for us here, it came to 91 for for whatever reason and that's and that's for the entire year okay. i probably spend close to that a month in dc stuff so it's already paid for itself and it's up to date you can get it day and up day to last month you can get up to last month okay so Still it's like not a bad. one month, yeah, it's a one bad. month delay, and so as John said, um, I'll speak for John since he's not here. Um, as John said, you know he is going to, and he's already um, put the money into that, and has already cut down his pull list um, because you know how many. As we've all said this in the past, how many of us are sitting on books that we're like, okay, we'll get to that next week, and then we read the things that we're focused on, and then every sort of single one of us. So you know, <laughs> he's like, he's like, what's the rush? If I know it's going to take me. A month before I get to it, then you know I'll probably just do that. Which now I'll be honest with you, I'm going to your your books. I'll probably end up doing that with Wonder Woman because I can never seem to get completely caught up with Wonder Woman, and now I don't have to. Can you let me? I mean, you might not know, but let me ask you this: Can you subscribe to things so that it's not always your responsibility to remember what you're reading? Like, do they have? Some you can kind create of a like, library. Um, oh. You can create a, a. I'm wondering now how it'll work with this, but you can create a library where things go in there. Okay. So when I was doing the, um, what do you call it? When I was doing the milestone books, when they were coming out for free, mm-hmm. I would just create separate favorites, and so when I knew a new one was coming out, I would just go there and boom, there it would be. Oh, Amazing. that's awesome! So I mean, I'm assuming they're going to continue with that same model, but that's how I did it. Oh, I'm gonna have to curate a list. I was looking through some of the old stuff. They've got all the Hellblazer in there. There's so much. Oh, I'm excited. I need a. You know what I need? I need a list. I need a list of like must reads from DC. I still say I said it multiple times on the show, and I know Bob will back me up. I I have to finish it, but I remember at one point doing like a literal crap ton of Starman by James Robinson. Okay. Which I just thought, I don't know. What do you think, Bob? It's a great book. It's, it's when Robinson was at his peak. Loved, loved his work then. He, he did some solid work in between. His Scarlet Witch miniseries was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a, her redemption arc before the WandaVision did it, and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. His Fantastic Four was very, very good. It started slow but built, and then he didn't get to finish. And I, I talked to him at a New York Comic Con. He was heartbroken that he didn't get to take the next story across the, the finish line. I yeah. just tell you, with Starman, you got Solomon Grundy born on a Monday. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, in you a do. Different way. It's, it's mm-hmm. in a different way. So yeah, I I enjoyed it. I, it was just it's not your. It's interesting. It's it's almost like a more serious version of what Matt Fraction was doing with Hawkeye. Yeah, because it's yeah, like I get, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. It's it's not like you're you got your superheroes with the big S on their chest. There's really, I mean, he's a superhero, but there's really none of the the real tights and so it's just no. more like a more grounded story. There's real life him. going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what the hell. There's there's you know, you got your villains here. It's just really interesting that the way he he did it, and I was just so 
caught up in it that when I went back to your, you know, Justice Leagues, I was like, oh, well, yeah, this is like smacking me in the face with like heroes and, you know, and, and superpowers and all that stuff. And he's just sort of like, all right, I inherited this thing. I got to figure out how to make it work. And here we go. So that's just my recommendation. And for you JSA fans, you know, Ted shows up too eventually. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. What is the essential JSA run? I think Jeff well, Johns. Yeah, I'm going to say Jeff Johns in two different versions, the Justice Society of America and JSA, both are, are where to go. I mean, I, I could go all Roy Thomas on you and say, oh, you need to read All-Star Comics number three from 1940. But no, that's not that, we're not going to go there. Go, go with Jeff Johns. Did two great runs, um, yeah. including a an Alex Ross Kingdom Come sequel mm-hmm. that is one of the most amazing things ever. So, if did you read any of that Dark Crisis stuff we were talking or, or nope. leading up to it? No, nope. no, this is uh, for Steve. Oh, okay. Um, I've good. read Dark Crisis, the new one. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about the where the JSA showed up in like those other those like pre-crisis books that we were talking about where, where they had like the the one shot and Joey was all in and all that stuff. Well, long story short, if you read those, I think those are most informed by this the story that they're telling there and the characters that they're bringing in are most informed by Jeff Johns' run. Okay. And coming coming very soon are three different Jeff Johns Justice Society books including one with Stargirl. All right. So there you go. So now I got some homework. You can really fall down a rabbit hole. I would also recommend, because Carol and I were talking about this a little bit at NYCC, there's a Vixen arc. Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. That I think is, I read, I thought it was great. And I think it's actually written by G. Willow Wilson. I think you may be right. That reminds me, I got to catch up with her webtoon. The Vixen webtoon. I haven't looked at it. No, I haven't looked at the Red Hood one in a while either. Oh, man. I got some catching up to do. (laughs) (laughs) You cackling over there. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of catching up, where are you on FF, Steve? Okay, so I put FF down for a while because I got to the beginning of the Reckoning War and not having the like i guess precursor or the introductory issue for reckoning war i walked into fantastic four and had next to no idea what was going on (laughs) and reed was being a particular a particular brand of reed that i hate to read i can deal with him being difficult reed is reed is a difficult character he's a difficult man but this like watcher vision that he's yeah, been yeah. With, all, with the knowledge of all the watchers downloaded into his head has made him so much more careless than other times that he's been careless. Like there's one moment in this where he like lies to everyone and it's really horrific, particularly to Ben where he makes him think that his family has died. Yes. And I was like, what am I even reading? This is, Horrible. This is like some of the worst. It's about the end game. It's about the end game. Oh, I know. I know. And so having like, you know, discussions when you talked about it and and hearing your perspective, I kept that in mind and I went back to it. Um, I'm only about three issues into the Reckoning War. But basically, when I started it, I threw my hands up in the air and I said, you know what? I'm just going to read it and hopefully I'll catch the drift eventually. And I totally did. Uh, and I'm writing it out, but it is, 
it is meatier than other things that I'm reading right now. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of like piecemealing it a little bit. Um, I'll probably read a little bit of it tonight, uh, but I'm not, I'm not marathoning it because once the idea of reading the end of once in future came up in the chat, I was like, <laughs> Oh man, I'm like, I'm going to take a little break from fantastic four. I'm going to go and finish once in future. And then I'll go back to fantastic four. Reckoning war will get you by the end. I'll, I'll just say that. And yeah. and when you read David Pepos's two parter. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's the one. I, I want to get, I, I want to catch up. I want to get back into it because I love those characters and I want to be ready for when Ryan North's series mm-hmm. comes out, because I am so, so excited to read that. Which is like next month. It's like oh, it's right so around good. the corner. Oh, I can't wait. I can't I wait. I'm you, so pumped for that. There is no more grateful creator than David Pepos right now. I Amen. He, Amen. He is so grateful for every single word he gets to, to write. For any one of those characters, he is loving his job over at Marvel. He is loving the creative aspect of it. And I think it shows in issues 47 and 48 because, you know, both very Sue-focused. I mean, the whole family is there, but, well, most of the family is there. Uh, But it just gives you this, it it re-centers you in the belief that you don't always need Reed to save the day. Mm -hmm. Um, These guys... The reason why the day is always saved is because they each play an, play an integral role in the whole, and you know within <laughs> their individual parts. I heard it when I said it, but I don't know. Moving forward, um, but in any you know, and you'll when you get to the next segment, you'll understand why. <laughs> uh, but um, they each have their part to play, um, and I don't think the team exists without those individual parts. And this was just, you know, highlighting all of that. And in the narration over top of it was just, you know, incredible um, and perfect. And the way it was resolved, I think was true. You had demonstrations of all of Sue's abilities and some of them are super powered and some of them are not. So, yeah, that's how I felt about it. Honestly, I think Sue's biggest superpower is living with Reed. Because <laughs> this whole the ends justify the means thing, it's 2022, people. How are we still doing this? I, I'm well, here's the thing, LeBron. Yeah. If you read this issue, Reed's narration speaks yep. to a lot of what Sue means to him that if you don't. And, and that's been layered through a lot of the other books. Not always. The people who tend to write read outside of Fantastic Four don't get it. Yeah. I Yeah. I I will say, and it's interesting against the backdrop of an AXC book I read this week where uh, Iron Man was judged, where they point blank say to Tony over and over again, we've heard it all before. You, you have your mea culpa and you've learned your lesson and then you always become the same Tony again, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I can honestly say I have read versions of Reed that have shown that he's completely self-aware. He's aware that he's being an ass. He's aware that he has to be the ass because he's also aware that at some point those decisions have to be made and, and that no one else is going to make them. Um, but that he knows that there will be someone who will save him in the end, you know, uh, from going too far. And, and that is Sue. 
Mm-hmm. So and, and he owns the responsibility for him. Yeah, correct. Exactly. He's he's got in order to do what needs to be done. He's got to dangle himself just far enough out of bounds because he and this is kind of what he's saying in his narration of these two issues because he knows that in the end the only thing that he has to focus on is Sue, um, and that was probably the sweetest aspect of that whole that whole arc. And the way it ended was just sort of like oh, I did a deep sigh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, deep sigh at the end of the story. Like full disclosure, I haven't read this, so I can't speak to it or anything like that. But I just, when I hear stuff like that, it all it sounds to me like is, oh, so we're putting the emotional labor on the lady. <laughs> no, um, not at all. Not not I, at I, all. I yeah. No, I don't think not at all. I, I don't. I think he was saying her existence makes it. I, I makes think his life complete. Saying, yeah. Yes, exactly. It makes it worth anything he has to do. Any problem. They use the point he's making is that they usually come to him and the Fantastic Four with the questions to the impossible problems, you know, the things that no one else has figured out how to to fix, and no one else is even be, knows where to begin, and he's got to isolate himself and figure out how to focus without concern for all the other things, and the only thing that keeps it from going into this like abyss of of sorrow and, and madness and all that stuff is focusing on Sue and Johnny and Ben. He does call them all out for their role that they mm-hmm. play in there, focusing on that. But Sue is, Sue is an equal. But yeah. Sue is an equal, yeah. Not not a – she's not – oh, that's actually she's, – she's like she's not walking behind him. She's walking next to him. Yeah. Um, and I, I – yeah, I don't know. I just think David had a really good handle – on mm-hmm. that family. No, not everyone well, else does. I, will, I was going to say, if anybody guy. could, it would be David. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we spoke to him at the con, I, I had mentioned that when John Byrne took over the book, he recast Sue as the most powerful member of the Fantastic Four. She can do nearly everything. She's the heart and soul of the group. And it's where mm-hmm. everything revolves around. He went, exactly. That's the run I'm channeling. Yeah. And it's there. In reality, she is. She is yes. quite honestly, the most powerful of all right. of them for a variety of reasons. She's and that's another thing I love about this, how incredibly intelligent she was. You know, and that they don't often they I do get frustrated at times when they characterize her as having to be mansplained, you know, to by Reed versus, you know, I think one of the best things about this issue these two issues was when they just kept call when they called her uh Mrs. Richards and she's like, first of all, I go by storm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, like, he's like, do not call me Mrs. Richards. And I was like, yeah, I, I feel you. I see you but there. Okay. The thing is Reed, Reed explains to everybody, which yeah. includes Tony and Captain America yeah. and the X-Men and you name it. That's his, that's his jam. Uh, but he, he, I'm going back 20 years. So Mark Wade started on the book and he cast the Fantastic Four as what he described as Imaginauts. That's what they did. And the issue is a PR guy is following them around for the day to see what they did for for writing their comic book, because there is an FF comic book in in the Marvel Universe. And we end up with Reed in Valeria's bedroom. She's She's an infant at this point. And he's explaining to her, I made a decision, and it cost my friends their lives. So I have to do something to fix that. Why would anyone call themselves Mr. Fantastic? It's ridiculous. But I need to try to make up for what I did by giving them a better life. Okay. Yeah. That's not the jerky read that other people kind of write way too oh, yeah. often. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And they do. They don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Reed is Reed is always right. He's, oh no, he's not. He's quite often written as a jerk. I'm just saying that when you understand, when you take, when you have someone like David who takes the time to get into the nuances, absolutely, of it, I think absolutely you see a different. So well, that of sounds it. like a read worth reading. Yeah. I oh, nicely played. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Now, Steve, Sorry. did I see that you and Bronwyn watched She Hulk? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> Aaron watched it too. Cool. I it. Uh, yes, I was going to say. Uh, speaking of being tired of mansplaining, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she Hulk speaks to my soul. <laughs> okay, every single episode of She Hulk has been met with Bronwyn. Kind of like doing a one-person wave on the couch (laughs) (laughs) and celebrating this show like there's no tomorrow. Every episode that comes out, that was my favorite one. That was my favorite one. This is the best show. This is the best show ever. It's giving me life. This is the best thing that has ever happened. (laughs) Yeah. So there's been some really big She-Hulk energy going through this house for the last nine episodes. And um, I... I enjoyed it from beginning to end. Thought it was a lot of fun, but I think I'll let Bob and and Bronwyn and and all of you talk about it. Uh, 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 Go ahead. Okay, Bronwyn, go. Tell me. Tell me what you (laughs) loved. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, I love so much about this. I can't. I mean, Tatiana Maslany is... there's she's perfection she is perfection in this role i love her i love the fourth wall breaking i love the sort of sense of <sighs> joie de vivre that everything no. is in this movie but i especially love that this show is done with a different narrative style that very much speaks to um and forgive me here because i'm doing this with giant air quotes chick lit okay yeah. So this, it's got a different narrative style in terms of the the way characters are presented, the way um, the dialogue is done, but very much specifically in the way the main character is centered in, in literature that is aimed at women, which is historically and even to this day, always considered less relevant and less quality lowered quality all of it there's always an element of collaborative of the collectivist Mm -hmm. of the concept that you're not having a one hero who is the center of the story and that is something that i love because her supporting cast nikki and even mallory the the whole crew of them it's so great to hear those conversations huge and for and that is that is something that you see in female driven literature and and um stories that are 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 aimed at women and i love 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 that because you get the concept of it takes a village you know mm-hmm. and that's something that i've always i mean i read a ton and um that's so that's a, a narrative style that i'm extremely familiar with but also like i'm a woman in my 40s and I've been in the professional world for a really long time and I'm really good at what I do. And I know a lot about what I'm good at. And the number of times that I've had the types of interactions that I see in this show, 
Wow. It's so fulfilling. Like, Chris talks about the corrective emotional experience. This entire show is a corrective emotional yes. experience yes. for somebody like me who, when men come into the office and they think that they are complimenting me, and I can't even get angry at them because they are legitimately trying to be nice. And they say, wow, you must have got your job because you're so pretty. Ow. And I'm like, how do you tell this older gentleman that that's an asshole thing to say? I got my job because I'm really good at it because I'm super smart and I'm really talented and I work really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Just like everybody else. Because I'm a person, not yeah. a female. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. You know, how, or how about when I get a phone call that I'm, I'm the technical manager, and so, I, so I'm the one who explains all of the stuff. I'm the one who explains all of the science. Whenever anybody has any kind of technical question, they get pointed at me. And somebody says, is there a man I can speak to? Oof. No, son. There isn't. <laughs> yeah, there, there is his offices over by those ceramic bowls and down the hallway. Yeah, go see him. So every single moment of She-Hulk, from the twerking to the lawyer stuff to the fourth wall breaks, all of it, that has been a voice in my head. Every moment of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and when we got to this finale and she just said, no, this isn't my story. This isn't where this is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And grabs a hold of it literally, mm-hmm. and smashes it to pieces. And oh, this is how this is going to work. Just uh, please, that's, oh my God. that's why I wanted to see. And they they waited. This this could have happened earlier, and it wouldn't have had the same impact as it did right here. The 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 line of the show, the line, and this is saying something because the dialogue is fucking snappy. But yeah. the line of this is for me is when she's talking to Kevin and Kevin. Brilliant move. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> when she's talking to Kevin and she says, it's what we do. I'm a Hulk. We smash. I smash, you know, he smashes buildings. I smash fourth walls. Walls, yes. <laughs> bad endings. And sometimes Matt Murdock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and where are we going to get the X-Men, she says. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to throw that into the mix. Aaron, what did oh. you think? All right. Well, first of all, let me say this before anyone starts thinking. I love the show. Love the show. I had peaks and valleys of the show. And I actually put it in the chat. And I, I appreciate Brian and Chris giving me a, a different perspective on it. Um, I will say, I, if I'm looking at all nine episodes, uh, which I am right now. <laughs> look at that. Modern technology. <laughs> um, I think I was just incredibly just overjoyed by uh, episode one. And I maintained that through, you know, because I felt like that let, uh, created this promise of something great for Jen and for She-Hulk and Jess for viewers. And I think I carried that all the way through. And then I think probably started to dip a little bit around episode six for me. Um, I, I didn't love episode four at first, but then towards the end, I was like, oh, yeah, I really like this. This was this was good. Um, and then episode towards the end of five and then six, I was sort of like, mm, I'm beginning to crave something. And I, I didn't quite know what that was. And then when we got to, I think it might have been episode, I don't remember, was it episode seven? I think I put something in the chat. And I, I felt like there was a through line that just wasn't speaking to me for Jen. And I will inform that by, you know, a little bit of 
backstory. There. Was seven um, the re- the retreat episode? The retreat. Did okay. love the retreat. I just didn't. Um, I I get what they were trying to do, um, but I I felt like it frustrated me as someone who, from like seven years old, leaned into as a seven year old little queer leaned into any and all things that featured women in the powerful role. I remember sitting with my grandmother um, while we were watching episodes of Linda Carter, Wonder Woman. And every time she threw someone across the room, my grandmother would just chuckle (laughs) and just love to see it. And it just instilled something in me that was just sort of like, I appreciated it. She was sort of like, I mean, obviously it wasn't like the greatest television in the world, but it was what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. And she was front and center. And she was, although maybe not, you know, everything we all wanted her to be in, in today's view, she was there. Um, and I've just had this cringy vibe in that issue, that episode, that it was just everyone talking at Jen, and I just didn't appreciate it. I just didn't appreciate that a room full of men had to help her realize what was going on internally for her. Um, that was just my take on it. I get it. I get. I get what we're saying. Um, I mean, I, I've come up through like forty years of you know just toxic masculinity, just really turning me off of a lot of television, and sort of having to pick and choose those things that were a little bit more balanced and a little bit more female centric because I'm someone who was raised entirely by females. Um, so it was just something I saw. So when I see a show that's supposed to feature a female, I think maybe I lean into that and I lean into them not necessarily having to be carried, but rather carrying because that's how I was raised. That's just how I, what the, the image I had mm-hmm. of women. But when we got to episode eight, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed that episode. I just, I really, really did. However, I think that's where I pointed out that I feel like the through line of the show was Jen being thirsty. And that's kind of what got her into a lot of problems, her mm-hmm. being thirsty over and over again. Now, don't get me wrong. I want a girl to get some. Uh, believe me, I, I, I want a girl to get some, but I just felt like that was, it seemed to be the thing that we just kept going back to, um, which seemed to me out of character at first for the woman who just seemed so unbothered by, you know, Bruce in episode one and unbothered by some of the other things that, you know, he was putting in front of her. Now I know she had to have her own version of her hero's arc, but you know, it's just, that's just something that was just sort of clicking in my head. Not saying it was right or wrong. It was just clicking in my head. When we got to the finale, I don't know. I, well, I, I will say I thoroughly enjoyed her coming to the same realizations that I came, well, me coming right. to the same realizations yeah. that she came yeah. to as it was going through. I really, really love that. I thought that was really clever. Um, I felt like that little scene, you know, with, you know, the overblown Iraq computer, if you know, you know, um, <laughs> I felt like that may have gone on a little long um, and we maybe could have put a little bit more into that, those spaces. But um, as a whole, I felt like this was a show that just needed to happen. I may not have loved every minute of it, but what what do we love every minute of? Um, I just think it's something that I just um, I, I'm I'm really happy it happened. I'm really happy they put the time into it, and I'm really I'm really just hoping it continues to to sort of flourish. I, I, I you've probably heard me say this in the past. I remember being the guy who didn't love 
season one of Buffy. Mm. Um, but by season seven, I think I was like shaving my head and like crying into my pillow, <laughs> when, you know, during the finale. So, yeah. you know, I, it's just, it is yeah. what it is. It's, it's okay if you didn't it love time. it as much as I did. Like that's, it's totally fine. Not everybody is going to respond the same way and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. that's for me, the fact that Jen's, thirst was a through point was a high point for me not a low i love that i love centering female sexuality i love that we got to see what a shit world it is to date because i went to new york to get mine (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing i wanted to thank you for reminding me that's the thing i want my issue with her thirst being the forefront was not that she was getting some or that she even wanted to get some I perfectly listen. Samantha's one of my favorite characters on Sex and the City. I'm just saying, <laughs> um, it wasn't that. It was just that it was constantly the venue for her downfall <laughs> each time. It was sort of like the pathway into. Have you done online dating? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You are talking to a 50 year old gay man who grew up in the 90s and 2000s in this world. Are you kidding me right now? Okay, okay, okay. Because I don't know what it's like for a 50 year old gay man to date online, but for a woman, oh my God, that's what it's like. Let me tell you. We can that compare some terrible. notes, I promise you. I promise you we overlap in some places. Oh, I think we I, might, I, yeah. I, some others. <laughs> yeah, they may mention well, early stories, on Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> that this was going to be the horniest show that Marvel had made to date. Yeah, and I'm on. I'm, I'm on. That's all. That's all cool. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you I go back, I just don't want it to be a weapon against her. That's no, 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 no. And, and again, if you bad. go back, you go back to John Burns' run. She would hoist Wyatt Wingfoot, football all star, six foot three, two hundred and sixty pound guy, up over her shoulder and wander off to bed. Yeah, that's so a girl. Th- this is this is back. what went back into that. That's really part of that character for the last thirty five years. I get what you're saying, though, Aaron. It, does it then denature her sexuality by making it her downfall? But then, when she, oh, I don't, I, it, I don't it comes to a it, it comes to a, a forefront here as one of those terrible people are now part yeah. of the whole mess. Yeah. Kind of, you I have think. to you have to be very careful in writing that so that she doesn't appear. It doesn't appear to be the pathway to her victimization. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what I was responding to. So I just want to be clear. I'm not saying I don't want her to get laid. Yeah. I definitely want her to get laid. <laughs> no, no. Line them up, bang them out. I don't really care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just don't Especially want, a certain you know, character. Done, yes. Yeah, exactly. I just don't want it when it's done for it to be the thing that victimizes it. And just, yeah. just the scene in the courtroom when her face just sunk when he was testifying. And I was just like, <laughs> that's just, these are all just really asshole thingies that, you know, she keeps finding herself. In and it's yeah. not all, and it's and let's be honest. I think and going back to what we were saying, hooking up, although sometimes you're going to have some issues, it's not a whole, you know, it's not like it's a horrible thing. You know, having a one night stand should not be this thing that is demoralizing and dehumanizing. And I just felt like they were almost trying to lean into <laughs> Sometimes, that. though, Aaron. I said, I didn't say, uh, yeah, I didn't okay. say always. Yeah, yeah okay. try being a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say always. Listen, again, gay man. Just yeah. saying. Uh, let, me, let me throw a grinder at you sometime. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's all it is. So it's 
did did not take away from me wanting the show to exist at all. Just yeah. a, a little character thing. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No. All good. All good. And yeah, Tatiana Maslany, I think, just opened up the world to another side of her her talent and her personality. She is perfection. She's so charismatic and just oh, chef's kiss. I love her. Can I? Oh, last thing. Okay, then I'm gonna stop rambling because I'm tired and I'm ready to go to bed. Um, I didn't love this version of Matt Murdock. Oh, I really? loved him. You, I did. I did too. I loved those. him. I, I loved no, him. I love no. I loved him in eight. I didn't love him in nine. Oh, I just oh, I loved every second of Thirsty Matt. <laughs> nope, I'm okay with that. It's just I didn't love him in nine. In nine, he seemed met like at the a, barbecue. You didn't like met at the barbecue. He seemed like a himbo. I was just like, well, no. I Let like the that. man I, relax I like, a little. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Before I he goes he back to New lot. York and Hell's Kitchen, let him have you know exactly. a minute. Look, and, as somebody who has to brain eight, all day, every day, I like me some himbo energy on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I have himbo energy. I bring it to the table because it's nice to just let the brain slide a little bit. Yeah, I didn't love it. Didn't love it. Loved eight, though. Love loved that chemistry. Loved everyone was telling me about eight and because I, I didn't get to see it while I was at the con. Uh, but I watched it that like one of the evenings at the con and just loved it. Didn't love that. Didn't love him in nine for some reason but i think i don't think i was supposed to i think he was supposed to be overly silly i just think i didn't yeah want and we, we can't we can't spoil the special appearance by a certain other character in this episode until people catch up but we will talk about it eventually oh yeah there's some stuff coming just saying i can't wait i'm so all in oh my god yeah. <laughs> awesome um I don't know what else there is for me to say. I really enjoyed it. I like I like that Marvel has done some different stuff. I was looking at there was a thing going around Twitter where they were asking everyone to rank the I guess phase what is this 4? Could be. I don't know, I think around like 9 and a half. Right. Whatever whatever this this D, this Disney Plus era of Marvel is with Loki and Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision and so on and so forth. I couldn't rank them. I don't like ranking things anyway, but like I sat there and I was like, I really don't know. And there was a lot of stuff that at the very least, while they are, you know, adhering to the Marvel formula, they did take some risks with some of these shows in the past little while, whether it was the Doctor Who-ness of Loki or it was the fourth wall breaking and like patriarchy smashing She-Hulk. Uh, what else came out? That was oh, we watched Werewolf by Night. Yeah, oh, cool! The other so night, it was great. Good. It was, I was great. Just gonna say, I think the whole because I was gonna bring that up. I think the whole ranking of things now is it's we should put that to the side now because I think we were supposed to rank the the MCU because they were all part of the same storyline and part of the same through line. I think Marvel has made it very clear now, at least from the Disney plus side of things that there is a creative, uh, creative sort of approach that they're taking to all the things that are coming out with right now, that they are not supposed to exist in the same pot. They're not supposed to exist Mm -hmm. in the same, you know, they're not even supposed to attract the same types of viewers. And I think I was literally just going to say, I think werewolf by night is a perfect example of that. If you're, if you watch werewolf by night, if you took that Marvel logo off and you weren't like a long time reader, you would have no idea that was a part of that was a Marvel thing. 
Absolutely. No clue. So I, I think we're not even – I think right now trying to, to rank them all diminishes them because it, it's trying to jam them all into this – like a, a all into a round peg, and that's not yep. – I kind of get out of the anal stuff with the pegs and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads us nicely myself. into the Sasuke sister. <laughs> yes, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right. Well, well maybe done, we'll Aaron. end this there then. Yeah, I think so. All right. I think it is time – to switch gears, then we are going to hand the stick over to Bob. He's going to take the controls and uh, we're going to get spooky with the Sasuke sisters. Ooh. Ooh. It's an absolutely incredible interview. We invite you all to enjoy it. Listen at your own discretion. It does get v- it's probably saucier Saucy. than any webcomic we could talk about. <laughs> It is five alarm spicy here, folks. Yes, it is five alarm spicy. It is a lot of fun. Uh, And then when that's over, we'll come back and we'll do our little outros. Uh, So stay tuned for the Sasuke sisters on Talking Comics. We're pleased as a pumpkin ale to welcome Jen and Sylvia Saska back to the Talking Comics podcast. The Twisted Twins always bring something memorable to our table, not surprising considering they are the directors of such films as American Mary and Rabbit, as well as the writers behind the powerful Black Widow No Restraints play miniseries. Well, that continues tonight with a movie about to premiere and a new comic project. Jen and Sylvia, thanks for visiting with us again. Ah, thank you so much for having us back. Happy early Halloween. And happy Halloween season. I think it starts on the 1st of September now. Yeah, we had to claim two months because, as we all knew, uh, Christmas creeped into, like, December or November. So Yeah. yeah. Those Christmas yeah. people are out of control. Can I, can, I, yeah. <laughs> can I jump right in here real quick with a question before we get to the nitty-gritty? How, how do you feel when you walk into, let's say, a department store like a Michael's, if you ever do, or any department store where the Christmas decorations are out at the same time as the Halloween decorations? Oh. Nightmare uh, before Christmas. <laughs> what are we doing as a society? What are we doing? <laughs> Well, you can you can tell that the with the economy, they're like, please buy this shit. I know you can't afford food, but please buy this shit. And you're like, I don't know if I need a a fifty dollar like little candle with an angel on it from Michaels. And yes, I do go to Michaels a lot, and I do look at the Christmas stuff, and I'm like, ooh, it's expensive. You know, <laughs> missed opportunity for Nightmare Before Christmas. I think yeah. that's the only thing that you can bring in in September, October. Like, have some respect. It's like a funeral. Wait for Halloween to be over, November fourth, <laughs> and then go. <laughs> exactly. Right, you you get two months. Up. You're good. Yes. You know. <laughs> it is greedy. It's, un- it's just it's greedy. Un- it's unfair. We finally got Halloween to be the second biggest holiday after Christmas, basically. And now they're trying to take it away. 
It's the war against Halloween. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, we need to stick our jack lanterns on all year long and be like, "You won't cancel it. Say Halloween, guys. Say it." <laughs> we I, we won the war against Christmas and uh, the war against Halloween here in this house because uh, Steve asked me if we could take the Christmas tree down. The Christmas tree that's entirely decorated in Halloween. Like we have a raven at the top of the tree and it's like, it's like these creepy eyeballs for crystal balls. And like, (laughs) so it's entirely Halloween tree and it's up year round. And he's like, maybe we could take it down. No, no, no. (laughs) That's beautiful. What are you going to show guests when they come over? If the tree's down, this is what I'm saying. It's the first thing we comment on when they come into our basement. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bad thing. Nope. No, it's a great thing. It's the yeah. first thing they'll see. It's right at the bottom. Perfect. I think it's creepy that you're bringing people into your basement. It's <laughs> <laughs> our nerd cave. <laughs> That's what we like to call it. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll save the swing seat for you, Aaron, when you come to visit. Mm-hmm. I think not. <laughs> Before we dive I like back. you entice people into your basement with this Christmas tree. Be like, here, you want to see something fantastic? You describe it. Everyone's like, wow. And they're like, okay, come down to the basement. Oh, so, so there oh, yeah. is a tree in the basement. This is the whole ruse. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you sneak around the corner next to the oil Look. burner with the axe. Yeah, it's, We may be kinky, but we're not a tease. There's absolutely a tree. <laughs> I'll put a picture. I'll put a picture of the tree in the chat. Bob, yeah. why don't you? Uh, why don't you take those back? Yeah. Let's before we get too far along. For those who haven't heard you with us before, can you do a station ID? Who is who? Oh, of course. I'm Sylvia. I kind of sound more chipmunky, and I talk way too fast. So, if English is your second language, I am so sorry. It's my second language too. So, forgive me if I fuck up. Yeah, I'm Jen. I have a deeper voice because I used to date da- Jack Daniels. We. Still have fun. <laughs> I generally speak second, and if you hear anyone going Princess Diana, no, that's me. That's my wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, we're going to get back to Princess Diana a little bit later, I think. By the way, but let's oh, jump into let's jump into comic books now. It's a bit of a secret, but you ladies have a new comic book project on the way. What can yes. you, or perhaps, are able to tell us about that work? Yes, I think we're we're allowed to speak about it, but we have to be vague because I can't say what it is. We haven't I can't say who it's for officially announced yet. However, uh. If you know us, this is a person who's actually a really good friend of ours. And we actually met while we were writing Black Widow. And uh, we actually became friends because we were both really passionate about Marvel stories, Marvel characters. And I mean, you can tell the dorks that grew up on comic books because we talk about these all these people like we know them. And we're like, remember what happened to Gwen Stacy? Yeah, damn, damn, Gwen <laughs> too far. I, and as an identical twin, I'm like, that storyline really did go way too far. But before I nerd up too much, I was like... So we uh, are going to be writing this character that uh, I believe we are kicking off. Yeah, it is an original character. (gasps) I will say that they exist in the superhero universe. It is a female character. Yeah. Uh, Man, oh, God, she's... She's just so cool. I've never worked for, I mean, yeah, I love Marvel DC, all of you guys, absolutely. There's so much fun. When you, I mean, 
the way I had to negotiate to get one panel of Matt Murdock, and it was like, and I was like, just it's a memory. He does, it's it's not going to interrupt anything. And they're like, mm, okay, we just finally cleared it, but he's okay. He can only be in one panel and say these two words. And I was like, wow. Now I'm working for somebody that's given me such creative freedom that I realize how little creative freedom I had before because I'm like, oh, please, am I allowed to do this? And it's like, yeah, do whatever the hell you want. You guys are great. I think as filmmakers, though, you always feel like you're being limited because we're so budgetary limited. And then sometimes uh, I will be working on a comic book and they'll be like, go ahead, make that happen at Times Square. And we'll be like, what? And they'll be like, yeah, you don't have to pay for it. And we're like, oh. We don't have to pay for it. They're just going to draw it. Awesome. And like, also you don't have to do prosthetics. You can do like amazing surgeries. You can do superhero fights, like really glorious, cool superhero fights. And it's kind of fun to uh, be a person who gets to establish the relationships between the different characters, because it's, it's one thing growing up on Marvel and DC and like I, ever since I was a kid and I could speak, my friends would all pl- pick different characters and we'd play those characters in our yards. So we were, we were like, we were very devout. And then to meet new IP and be like, okay, so you don't have like 20, 30 years of experience with this material. How are you going to approach it? So it's the exact same kind of story that you would do for a Marvel or a DC or an image or something. I find it's way more exciting though, because I mean, I have, how many first appearances of Deadpool do we have now? We have, we have five. Yes. I'm collecting them all. <laughs> one day the stars will own them all. And every time I get a new one, someone's like, oh, I'm sorry you already have this. And like one day I'll have all- they will layer my tomb with Deadpool first appearance. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is it to be writing the very first time a character does anything? Yeah, I like it. Yes. You know, yeah. and setting up kind of the rules. And when, you know, when they eventually make the movie and they beg me to direct it, which I'll say yes. You know, that will be the story. So I'm I'm so excited. I think that uh, the world is ripe for new characters and originality. And I will say as much as I love Marvel and DC, I, you know, I have, I'm an adult. I had a life. I went and made movies and I came back and there's a lot of, like, I try to catch up with what people are doing. And I'm like, man, used to be like, I knew Peter Parker would be married to Mary Jane. I knew he'd be a shitty husband, but I knew they'd be married. It's very hard for me to find my childhood in the current comic books. So it's exciting for me to write about the same heroics that I grew up reading, you know, the believe in yourself kind of shit. Heck, when you go to the comic vine or the, or the websites, and it'll say created by Jen and Sylvia Saska. That's special. Uh Oh my god! Yeah, that's that's an insane feeling. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, we, this character we did not create, but we are creating almost all of the a storyline for our boss. Gave us three really crazy ideas, and I was like, okay, and then and then we got to just go loose, and it was really cool. It was really fun and supportive. Yeah, and I will say our, our new boss is a guy. Yeah. And he, he not surprisingly wanted girls to write his girl character. Oh, well, yeah. Impressive. You get to see that every now and then. It was fun when we, um, I feel like there's more comics that we have written that haven't been published, though. 
Oh like my god! Is, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to say. But we, the, I can't. I don't even think DC can say which one of their main characters. But I can say it was a female. Oh, and it was the female. I will. I will because the, I. I have no problem with it. That right? DC round robin thing was rigged. There's no oh, way your Zatanna oh. and the Nightmare King didn't win that vote. I'm sorry. Oh, it was. I'm you sorry. know, we, I should just release it as a, a secret fan fiction under another yes. name. Just really, like, that's what I was going to do. But there's actually another character we wrote the story for that actually DC has that I think maybe one day they might print for it. I'll but say who it is. Jen, I don't know if we're allowed to. But that was Wonder Woman. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we made a horror story for Wonder Woman. And we, oh. got, and we got her yes. back in touch with like magic and sorcery and like fight. I think that's oh. enough. I think that's anyway. probably, Jen, that's too much probably. It's still <laughs> I'll release it one day. I'm sure one day they will. But I think because maybe we have a movie coming out now and Halloween's coming out, they might go in. And and they already paid us for the story. (laughs) So I feel like they're just going to be like, what's this Wonder Woman thing? (sighs) Blowing dust off of it. And they're like, oh, let's just make a a crazy one off. Oh, man. Thank you. I still have nightmares about Zatanna. I was like, no, Uh, I'm going to do it. I'll get her back. I'll get her. Oh, back. I was gonna re- I was gonna really define her powers and I actually had scoured the message boards, taking in every fan criticism, being like, I'm gonna fix it all, you guys, don't worry, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna like give you understanding what her powers are. I'm gonna retire her father in a certain way. Oh, it was gonna be such a party. It was gonna be amazing. She was gonna step into her power, it was gonna be so emotional. It was gonna be like a guardian devil for her, but Oh, it was her guardian <laughs> devil. And then afterwards <laughs> time you saw her top hat you would have been kind of creeped out because you'd have been like oh my god i can't believe that's the scene with oh the the top hat yeah anyway that was what we were just planning just a tour of sad things we can't have (laughs) (laughs) for now for now one one never knows for now you're right there might be a guy at dc being like what we have what and they walk over and they're like Let's get this printed. We already paid for it. It actually <laughs> happened with Black Widow. Black Widow, yeah. we pitched it because they said they had a break in Black Widow. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the story. And they're like, oh, my God, absolutely not. And I was like, oh, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. I was like, she's setting pedophiles on fire. We it's had so much. many, like, You're right. if Punisher can do it, she can do it. She's Russian. Anyways. Yes. They, asked, they asked us for a hard R Black Widow to counter do what she was doing in the co- in the movies because they're like, oh, let's just remind her everybody that she could be a hard R character. Yeah, and, and then Disney fully took over Marvel and they're like, no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to ask, were we ever going to get some more of your Black Widow? But it sounds like no. I, I, I You know, we actually uh, tracked her out for another like 12 arcs. Like she went, she went after every single person in her list. The next one she was going to do. I might as well Jen, say it. this one because this is funny and they would never make it. I'm such a Daredevil <laughs> fan. Okay, the last thing I had read is Daredevil had every bone in his body smashed. Why do they write things They just- showed her in the office and Jen almost cried. I was like, this isn't cool. They guys. were so <laughs> proud of themselves. And it's like, do you think Daredevil fans want to watch Daredevil smashed to pieces, taunted by people? And they're like, we can go into his memories. I'm like, you can go into his memory. <laughs> we have had any sandwich and remember this so good <laughs> He cannot see. He can remember. But I I wanted to next do uh, Black Widow teams up with Matt and she takes him to like South America and she's like, Matthew, you need to get your faith back. He goes undercover as like a young priest and she's a nun. 
And it turns out that there's a pedophile situation that she actually brought him to help her with. And he, she's like, damn it, Natasha, this makes me question my faith more. And she's like, if you get rid of these people, God is going to be happy. Yes or no, Matthew. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think just the cover of him in a, with the, the, the frock on with the, the collar and her dressed up as a nun and both of them fighting a bunch of people. I thought that would look cool. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And then, of course, her trying to sleep with him in the priest thing and him pretending that he's not like... Yeah, it's kind slut. of a Typhoid Mary uh, Daredevil moment where he's like, oh, I sh- what was I thinking? Oh, God, forgive me. He is so <laughs> He is so promiscuous. And you never hear him mention it in confession, by the way. No, he's... <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's... Come on, thing. everybody knows this is Matt Murdock's slut era. <laughs> <laughs> he's dirty, dirty. Oh. Always walking... Even in early comics, always walking around naked. That's what got me liking Daredevil yeah. originally. I was like, who's this guy? I actually think that's a brilliant idea. I hope Marvel's listening. Please write Matt Murdock slut years and we'll right? <laughs> pick it up. Oh my god, sex in the take city. my money. <laughs> now take my money. I want to know what it's like. You did some lawyer stuff, you were hooking up, it was hot. Let's do this. Oh my god. Exactly. Just be so dirty. Oh, I know. Okay. Sorry, this is a different podcast. It's this podcast. Speaking of Marvel, you know, Blade is looking for a new director. You know, maybe you should pitch that. Oh man, I would you know how I'd pitch that. I'd make the sprinklers go off and I'd rig it to be blood and I'd be like, We go back to the basics, guys. Yeah, yeah. you do the Wesley Snipes is in the room with you. You're like, guys, we don't change anything. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys ever hear the pitch for Alien 2? This one was always one of my favorite no. ones. Um, uh, it's James Cameron, right? Oh yeah, yeah. proud Canadian and, heritage. And he goes over oh, the yeah. board and he writes alien on it. And then he writes aliens at the ba- back. And then he puts a dollar sign and makes the S that he just added into a dollar <laughs> sign. And people are like, whoa. That's <laughs> all you need. It doesn't that blow your mind. I'm like, man, I wish I wish I was around during those pitches, but maybe they still happen. Genius. Yeah. Genius man. I mean, it's on the nose. <laughs> Completely accurate. That's funny. Maybe that's how um, the Spider-Verse movie happened. Someone came in, they, were, they wrote Spider-Man on the wall, and they write Spider-Man. Man. And man. Yep. Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> with, with a dollar sign. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think, we just, I think we just blew up how Hollywood works, you guys. That's all. I think we might have. Yeah. yeah and they're like, this person's what? a genius. Cut them another check. Here's <laughs> <laughs> what we've been looking for in Hollywood. <laughs> Now, speaking of movies, let's go to your new film, On the Edge, and that premieres October 29th, already sold out at Fright Fest. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm so excited to be coming back to Fright Fest. I can't believe it's sold out so fast, because we kind of did it like a surprise thing, because we were like... You know when somebody like Beyonce or somebody drops some album and it's so cool? <laughs> and Jen and I were like, you know, with movies, it's usually you're talking about it for so long. Oh, and yeah. by the time here's the casting. Yeah. And I wrote a script. Oh my God, I'm so proud. And here I am, like, posting it, like, with a sh- sign. Yeah, and it's just so <laughs> prolonged excitement. And we were like, what if we did that once? And 
we're, we're getting we're, we were born in 83 we're getting towards our 40th birthday and we just remade a, a Cronenberg movie and I, I remember rewatching Crash with my friends and oh like, my goodness and I don't guys I don't know if you've seen that in years but it has an NC-17 rating for a very good reason and there was so mm. much stuff in there I was blushing with my friends and I was like you know what? I should make a really grown-up movie like this. I should make like something between David Cronenberg and Madonna, and that's how Oscar <laughs> came. Amazing. Yeah, you're a- Andy, and you're like, you know what would be cooler if it was uh, a guy that had done something bad, but he was with a dominatrix? Because you know, at first you think everything's going well, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, speaking of that, based on the plot synopsis, the movie seems to venture into a different kind of darkness for you ladies as filmmakers, although, you know, not really. So let me read the thing. Family man Peter gets more than he paid for when he books a 36-hour session with the sadistic Mistress Satana, who seems more intent on making him suffer for his sins. Is it blackmail? Is it torture? Or is it the devil come for his soul? Will Peter's face save him from his own personal hell, or is he already damned? A brilliant de- depiction of how king culture can heal past trauma and be a source for a socking redemption. Now, more of a psychological erotic thriller, as you're describing, or is it? And will telling us spoil anything? Huh. I don't think anything could really be spoiled about this movie because it's so batshit insane that it's... <laughs> I will going. Say, yeah. I'll tell a little story about something that I thought was going to be some way and win another way. The movie Shame. I'm a huge Michael Fassbender fan. Yeah. It's our movie is a sexy movie in the way that's a sexy movie. It's very intense. It's very if you have it trigger warning if you think rough play is shocking or if uh nudity or intense situations or um sexual torture might seem upsetting to you run from this movie if you're writing down and being like oh my god what else do they do this is definitely the movie for you this is an for adults movie this is by far the most adult film we've ever done yeah well you know there's so many misconceptions about kink culture and i think Mm -hmm. uh just like with uh, american mary with body modification when we started seeking people out for body modification it was it was a witch hunt and same with you can see with kink culture and a lot of people don't really understand the rules some people take uh being into the bdsm scene as a, an excuse to be abusive whereas other people find it extremely healing but who's talking about it, who's having these conversations we're so fit, quick to be like well this is bad nobody should do this we don't really talk about uh, a healthy alternative so we were really lucky. Uh, we had Luna Wolf, who is our BDSM consultant, uh, who actually uh, had some experience as a dominatrix, who actually certified Jen. Uh, we wanted to make sure that... Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm a certified dominatrix now. I'm so proud. Congratulations. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm available for bar mitzvahs and parties. Oh, my God. Please, please tell me when you book a bar mitzvah. <laughs> Uh, you're a man now, Danny. <laughs> Give me the knife. Goodness. Yeah. Well, anyway. It's time for your second bris. Yeah. Why are all the dads lining up? This is weird. No, it's uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of conversation about uh, sex work and uh, humanizing of people in it and really showing a behind the scenes of what's that that's like. But 
I don't think that's been the main subject. And I think a lot of the time it's done almost as a voyeuristic uh, approach where it's people from outside of the scene that are involved in it. That's a huge reason why Aramis Sotario is the star of this film because, uh, I mean, it, also known as Tommy Pistol, uh, he he was porn Loki. <laughs> I have watched. Hey, I'm oh, one of those people who admit I was a huge fan of his for years. And we I, do watch the porn for the acting. I do. Uh, maybe I'm the only one who watches <laughs> him. And they're like, damn, this guy's good. Or I'm like, this girl. Wow, I couldn't. I couldn't say that line after that just happened. Wow, these guys are stars. This and- guy has amazing comedic timing during coitus. That is a he does a oh. tremendous oh. Pee Wee Herman. Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> that could be taken in so many ways. <laughs> well, the nice thing, the thing about Aramis is it's like he's almost like a groundlings trained comedian. Yeah. Like he did ten uh, years of comedy in New York, and then at one point he made this Tommy Pistol uh, porn joke video, and then this company was like, "Hey, do you want to direct porn? We'll pay you a bunch of money." He's like, "Wait, what?" money sure and he just ended up having the most amazing career he always wins every award i think last year was uh, he actually won the avn's performer of the year yes he did and i think with this he actually might be transitioning out of doing that those movies and doing more horror movies and sci-fi and comedy which i i I think i think when you're in your 40s and you've been doing so many of those films i think at one point you're like guys i gave it to the town there's a thousand videos of you (laughs) thank you so much so long. And oh my god! I think that was <laughs> in Aramis's uh, situation, but he really is like the Tom Hanks of adult film. Yeah, he's the nicest guy. He's such a sweetheart. If someone's like having a hardcore anal scene and they're like, "It's him," they're like, "Oh, good! What a sweetie!" <laughs> so there you go. I'm sorry, that just caught me off guard. <laughs> I love that. No, I no, love the term I, "gave it to the town." <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Where you got that, but I love it. I'm writing it down. I've never been prepared to come to this show and hear the words hardcore anal. I'm not opposed to it. (laughs) I've never been prepared on this show. So there you have it. I'm always breaking new ground, no pun intended. I love the combination of give it to the town, hardcore anal, and so long, and thanks for all the fish. That was well, a really nice touch. <laughs> I would I would love it if this was someone's first episode of the show. <laughs> oh my God, first, but... so. <laughs> um and also, you know, Jen and so we're definitely gonna have to have you guys on to the Thirsty on Tune subset of the show because we're way thirstier. <laughs> oh, we would love that. Maybe we can bring Aramis with us too. His that would story. be amazing. Hard to die for. You yeah. could do the candy apple martinis from American Mary. I love that. I'll have to find where you are and then see if vodka will deliver to you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I think we're probably headed in the same direction. Actually, I was just my about the the kink culture. Yeah. Um, And it it, it actually sort of spurs out of talking to Chris for um, Thirsty on Tune. Chris is also a co-host for Talking Comics. Um, They do a lot of research um, in psychology uh, because they're doing their PhD in that. And they've specifically done some research into um, kink as healing 
and wow. specifically in the BDSM. So we've talked about this a quite a bit on Thirsty on Tune, and I'm really interested to hear your perspective on that and using it in this film. Oh, I love that. And please send me the link to that. Oh, wow. I love that. I won't spoil too much about this, but um, there is, I will say there is a abuse masquerading as BDSM mm -hmm. and uh, this film without telling you how it goes, it tells you what the experience is and why people, if, if you, if you aren't in the kink community, you can go for a 36 hour session. This is a safe place for you to go through and trust me, it will get scary and intense, but you will be safe. You will make it through. You can always call red and call it quits and walk out, but I encourage you all the way through because it was very important for us to not only take away the vilification of sex workers, especially dominatrixes. I really do think that they're old world goddess healers. Mm -hmm. And that is very a much thousand percent. Anna is, I mean, you can go back to the dominate. I have this wonderful book that Luna Wolf gave me. That is the history of domination. It goes all the way back to, to Lilith from the garden of Eden and the origination of that female power. So it, it, there is a lot of that in the film. And uh, yeah, I, I really think that sex work is sex therapy. I think we really should rename it that. Because even if you think about adult film and you're watching it, you're usually working through some shit. And yeah. heaven forbid, if you're watching some weird shit, it's usually because uh, you're embarrassed to talk about it. And you, there's it has to get out of you. If something happens to you, it's not like something was said to you and it derails your life, but usually a physical abuse. It's like something that gets into your body and to your skin. And some people don't understand it if they've never experienced it. But going through an intense experience like surviving a horror movie, like the whole moral of the Saw movies, if you go through a, a loving, empowered, like you've even decided what you want S&M session, I promise you it's better than a year of therapy. Well, the thing is, uh, sometimes things that happen to you in your life, it's not going to get resolved by you sitting in a chair across from somebody else and talking about how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you actually have to feel something. And I think a lot of people think that uh, these are typically only sexual experiences because they're not a lot of it is healing a lot of it is going through different situations a lot of it is people in really powerful situations that never get to have this moment where they let loose and they can be you know in a powerless position where they give mm -hmm. their power away uh it's it's very interesting and i don't want to give away any too much about uh uh aramis's character peter but i think uh I don't think there's ever been a film where you actually get to see a, a character like this. And uh, I think it's, I think it's going to really blow people away. And uh, the fact that Aramis is the person who's doing it, and I'm not going to speak on his experience because he, he did a really, a really beautiful performance through it. But I think a lot of people are going to be able to watch on the edge and they're going to get answers to questions they didn't know they had. There are going to be situations where they're like, Oh, I had no idea, guys. Here's another one. Cock and ball torture is. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> or, like, I didn't know what shibari rope was for. I didn't know what mm -hmm. this. I didn't. I didn't know that red means that a session would end. These are just. These are just things that it's almost like you get to go through a session with Peter and Mistress Satana, but you get the safety of sitting in your living room or in a theater with your friends, and you're like, oh, 
And then afterwards, you can have those conversations that you didn't even know how to ask me like, hey, so what did you think about that movie? Oh, I thought this was cool. You're like, oh, you thought that was cool? Yeah, I think that's cool too. Oh, really? We both think that's cool? Oh, okay. And then, you know, I think it's a great date night movie too for, you know, a couple of There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any opportunity for a corrective emotional experience, right? And that's oh. what a lot of that healing is, right? Yes. I love that corrective emotional experience. That's exactly it, right? Because when you have an when you have an experience, and a lot of this healing um, is from you know, as you said, abuse and things like that. When you have an experience, and then you get to put yourself in a situation where you have the consent and the control. Mm-hmm. And you've agreed to all of the parameters beforehand and everybody's on board and on the same page and everything like that. And then you know how it's going to end. It is. It's corrective. Right. So it's amazing. I think a lot of people don't know about the aftercare aspect. They think that it's just all spanking and tying up. They don't realize that they're like there's actually been a surge in sex workers during COVID that aren't coming for sex work, but just for the aftercare portion where they're just holding people and telling them that they're good, that their parents love them, mm-hmm. that things are mm-hmm. going to be okay. That's the end part of Do you uh, have the number for these services? I was trying to <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be a businesswoman that's a billionaire by figuring out how to hook this up. But no, it's true because people people don't know how to have that connection. And, and it's kind of it's kind of beautiful to know that somebody will hold you and tell you that you're okay and that things are going to be all right. We lose that as we become adults. We lose having that kind of tender caring. And I can't imagine a time when adults feel more like, gosh, I wish somebody could comfort me from all of the stress that I'm living under. I think that's what makes it the corrective emotional experience because you go through this hardship, even though you've planned the hardship and you're still friends after you're still on good terms with the person after they still love you. It was, it's okay. They're your friends. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a nice thing. You don't know. It's not like, Oh, where do I stand with the person I hired to do a specific thing? No, I know I paid them. They're stoked. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Some while back, we had Stepan Shades on, who's the writer-artist of the sexy BDSM comedy romance uh, original graphic novel series, Sunstone. I don't know if you've ever read that one, but you should. No, but I'm about to. That yes. is, oh, it is so good. It's yes. so good. Yeah, we're into seven volumes already, and it is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Oh, and when he, wow. when he When he was on with us, he, he, I'm going to paraphrase because I, I couldn't find the exact quote, but... The communication, trust, and respect needed to make a BDSM relationship work are the same cornerstones of a vanilla one. It's a compromise. It's a negotiation. And I think some people don't get just what you're talking. You're all talking about the the corrective experience, the healing of it. There's uh, an openness that has to be to make it work. And if people don't get that, they're just titillated by, oh, look at that. They're not getting the whole experience. Yeah, I think true S and M is Morticia and Gomez. I mean, they're yes. having a lovely, thousand percent. Besides, is there anything truly sexier than consent paperwork? Mm. <laughs> Steve, I know you have a a point in this discussion too, right? I do. I don't know if we want to bring it back, but maybe we should. Uh, A little bit before you were talking about misconceptions about kink culture. And I was wondering earlier, what do you think is the biggest misconception about kink culture? Oh, that it's uh, that it's something that like you're like, hey, I'm into S and M, and the other person's like, yeah, me too, and then they just start beating the shit out of each other. 
I've had like I've had like it happens mainly to male friends, but afterwards it'll come out that oh he choked her, and it's like, well, yeah, they talked every, about it for every a long time, time, and I'm sure she was asking for it. Like we have to stop being like, oh, like I know that I know that there's abuse that happens to women, and I think it's fucked up. But there's also women that and men who are consensually in this kind of rough play relationship, and I honestly think rough play is a necessity for all of us. It's why I like doing martial arts and making horror movies. In It's why you like walking a Rottweiler. You yeah. like, you like things that <laughs> Yeah, I just like an, an intense experience. But yeah, I think most people think that you just start beating the shit out of each other. And instead, it's like, a, hey, I'm into this. <gasps> oh, me too. Or, oh, I'm into this. I'm like, oh, not this. But what about this? Oh, oh, I'm into that. And then you go through yeah. the whole list. Well, and then eventually you're like, whoa. Well, what I really want you to do is break into my house and pretend you're Deadpool. Hey! The part of it is probably a lack of exposure of talking to people that are sincere about it. People yeah. that oh, understand yeah. that there are levels to it. And that, you know, it's consent first and foremost, but it's about fulfilling desires of other people and, and having it be an erotic arrangement, so to speak. Absolutely. And I don't know that people necessarily see the value in that. And I feel like maybe they should be more open-minded. Well, I feel like that's why people have terrible sex. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's well-meaning because I feel like it's a lot of people being like, oh, don't beat up women. But it's like, you know, some if you've never been in an S&M relationship, it is the submissive person that controls the dominant completely. They uh, ask for the fantasy. They choose everything. It's very stressful for the dominant person to actually play this fantasy that they are this, ooh, I'm I'm Rico's super sexy man, and I'm never going to break character. I'm like, I, I am Wonder Woman of of latex. I'm not, I'm not even going to smile, and I'm going to say all this sexy stuff. There's actually a movie called The Duke of Burgundy. Brilliant movie. Which Love that movie. Oh, oh yes, you isn't it? Yes. You are so yes. cultured. It really shows the other side of how much pressure it is that when somebody like the submissive goes, "Hey, this is my fantasy," and then you're like, "Okay, I have to say what?" And wait, I'm a teacher now, and I'm doing arithmetic. Okay, and wait, I, I can't smile, and I'm in a pencil skirt, and it's made out of latex. And what am I gonna? Okay, okay. That movie beautifully plays with the misconceptions of S and M because at first you think the dominatrix, the dominant one, was like she's very, very nasty and powerful, and you're like, oh, this poor girl, and then you're like. Oh, this poor dominatrix. She's exhausting herself trying to fulfill this fantasy, and it's never good enough. It's very reminiscent of David Cronenberg's Crash because because it's about sex oh, yeah. play, but getting the sex play gets let's be honest, so out of control that the one partner is just pulling their hair out, being like, I've just crashed a car and we're having sex on the freeway. It's still not good enough to support. What am I supposed to do? Crash is what the most exciting porno you'll ever watch. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the Criterion edition of the DVD. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's like what porn always wants to be—like half action movie, half porno. Well, that's what it was before the internet. Like it was like, getting porn was like being in a Legend of Zelda game, and then you found a chest and an open, and you're like, oh, naked people! Oh my god! Obtained. You have dangerous to go alone. Take this porn. 
you tell all your friends, guys, you have to come and see what I found. <laughs> and you talk about that pressure. When you, when you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, in every Metal Gear game, they still act like porn is just invented. Like, they yeah. can't go on their phones. They're like, whoa, a magazine. <laughs> Where do you get these soldiers? No, what I was going to say, now that you talked about the pressure of being a dom, uh, you're going to love Sunstone for what Allie, who's the dom in that book, goes through to try to figure out what it is she's going to do and how. And she she makes a lot of mistakes. And that's a lot of fun oh. doing it. But it's it's you're going to love it. Oh, I love her already. I love that. It, well, I learned a lot of interesting things. Like, um, you can't handcuff some both of someone's hands when you're uh, doing certain things to a, a part of their body. You're buggering them because they need one hand <laughs> for freedom, just in case to tap out. To tap ah. out. I did not know that. I didn't know what? I had wrestling rules. You could bring that up to WWE. You have connections with them. It could be a whole new wrestling federation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think AEW would jump on that one. <laughs> See, there we go. I would love to know, speaking of, of all the things that come with King Culture, wardrobe-wise, how much fun did you have deciding uh, Madame Satana's wardrobe for this film? Oh, my gosh. There is a, a little underwear company called Agent Provocateur. Ooh. It's beautiful, UK based. Oh, it's UK based, and uh, you know, luxury under—they call it luxury underwear. It went out of business over COVID because you know, oh. when people are like, "Am I going to eat? Am I going to wear expensive underwear?" That you really—it's only for looking on. It's not practical to do anything except <laughs> like there, I, I have three outfits in the film. Four actually. Shh. But, but man, one of them, I I was like, it's just a sitting and it's barely for sitting. It's just really for standing. It's not really a, a practical forever underwear. Yeah, well, uh, so Luna Wolf was explaining that there's certain lingerie that dominatrixes would wear. And she was like, the agent provocateur, people in the scene, as soon as they saw you wearing that, they would know, like, even the leather gloves that Jennifer wears, they're all they're very fetish accurate and accurate for a dominatrix of Mistress Satana's stature. Oh, yeah. I even have a uh, rusky crystal engraved uh, riding crop from uh, Agent Provocateur. It's a limited oh, wow. edition riding crop. It's <gasps> limited edition. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. Did I? Oh, I don't think this will ruin the film for anyone, but oh my God, did I smack the shit out of Aramis with it? Oh, <laughs> I don't think it ruins anyone's enjoyment. I don't think anyone will see it in the film and be like, oh, I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> you take the whip out, they're like, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I feel as soon as you take the whip out, we all know what's going to happen. So. <laughs> I feel that there's a scene that's very similar to American Mary, but instead of yeah. body modification, it's all. It's all sex toys, which, again, it, it was really fun going to school about all of that stuff because I was like, what would somebody in the scene use for a situation like this? And Only the highest quality items were used, except there's an Easter egg from Dead Hooker in a trunk, and that stuff's nasty. <gasps> I would never actually use it. Yes. Specialty uh, inventors on uh, Etsy who made glass, metal, and all sorts of interesting apparatuses oh, yeah. for the film. Oh, yeah. A lot of former torture device slash sex tools that were just fascinating to really get into. I've also, a really nice bullwhip. I actually have a film replica of Michelle Pfeiffer's whip in the film. Oh, There's a lovely. Catwoman. 
in my mistress Satana. Yeah, but you you wore the heck out of that. So Jennifer wore one of these outfits every day and all the cast would come and you expect the director, writer, producer to be a certain way. And then you see her in like this. Very, you mean dressed. I was not. Very, very <laughs> outfits. And everybody was like, <gasps> but you made it seem I like thought- you were wearing a three piece suit while you were running around. And it was, it, I thought it was really cool. And also oh, you did, you. you did so many squats for the movie. I, I did. See, I can see it. A hundred squats and a hundred sit-ups every day since we realized we were doing it, even in the summer heat. And uh, yeah, it was, I will rue the day that I was like, I want to wear a corset. all i was living off was coffee and like nuts and man was my stomach upset and i was like i have this corset why it looks great in the film but when i'm an old woman i'm gonna be like that was not a good idea (laughs) (laughs) amazing uh, to my mind, your films, no matter the subject or setting, they, they explore the themes of self-responsibility, both to oneself and others, and control at a certain level, all while delivering a crackling narrative. Do you write or choose projects with these thoughts in mind, and how hard is it to sneak them past producers who think you're just making a horror movie? <laughs> oh, That's wow. a great question. Well, you know, <laughs> this gives me a little chance to show off a little bit about Cathasay Productions, oh, which yeah. is the... Uh, independent Canadian horror studio that we are actually kicking off with on the edge. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, we met uh, a wonderful uh, producer. Uh, and financer. And fina- a financing producer, uh, Glenn, of uh, and his company is Cathasay Productions. And he was a big fan of our work. And he said, hey, if I gave you guys this, would you make a movie with it? And I'm like, wow, that's that's very generous. And he was like, yeah. And uh, the thing is, he he had four different movies to pick between, and he that picked, we all pitched him. That we pitched him, and he said, "I like On the Edge," and he said that there's a there's a healing aspect uh, through of trauma through kink culture that's not readily explored. And he said, "This is a really good opportunity for all of us to show that not only are we making kind of elevated different horror movies, and we're not scared to touch certain material. This kind of shows that we're absolutely." fearless and this is the cast we want to do this is the story we want to do and oh my gosh if you if you like this one wait till you see what we do next and it was amazing like uh, literally he read the script at one point he was like can we see a little bit more humanization of uh mistress satana because we see so much of peter we need to see more of her story and i was like wow that's a great note thank you boss like it was amazing Uh, yeah it was so nice to be able to do a, a project where we take a, a group like Aramis obviously is works in adult film and I'm now a dominatrix. So though I have yes, only certified. seven films, yes. I'm technically a sex worker now. That's why Yay me. Some people, <laughs> I know. Some people got ordained, <laughs> but look who became a dominatrix. <laughs> I, think, I think it's really important to watch a movie where, you know, you come in with expectations and we really take you down a path and the way place you end up at the end is uh, feeling compassionately for people and not just sex workers, like anybody who might be going through some shit, because I think that we're all really, really going through shit. But the one thing we've really lacked is like 
compassion for one, one another. As soon as someone fucks up, even if they fuck up big, you just see everyone just dunking on them, Yeah, you know, like over and over again. Like what's the best joke I can make about this person who's done this or said this? And it's never like, hey, man, I think maybe you just need to step away from Twitter for a minute uh, and like, Amen. you know, t- hug your mom. Or we take your dog for a walk, or you know, like go to that, the pound and buy a dog. You hey got man. too much time on your hands. <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, just, I think this movie is going to trick people into caring about people, and all of our movies are kind of secretly about somebody going through this thing that should destroy them, but they survive, and it's the thing that actually makes them who they were meant to be. That's actually what the dark night of the soul is. If anyone knows what the dark night is, we're all going through it because of, you know, this soft apocalypse we're in. Don't worry, guys. It's just because all of you are God and you have to really live your divinity through your human life. It's it's no big. You'll all figure it out. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of religion in On the Edge. I think that uh, religion loves to talk about sex, but we're Catholic and we're altar girls. So now uh, sex is going to talk about religion. Oh, it's so much. I like it. Uh, speaking a- as a former altar server, I feel that deeply. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, there's a lot of good things about Jesus, but at the end of the and God, but at the end of the day, it's not like at the end of the month, God looks at everything that's been done in the business and says, guys, we gotta change for the next quarter, you know? It's still man <laughs> I mean, for all we know, God could be saying, We gotta change for the next quarter. I feel like there may be things that are saying. <laughs> You know, says we should change for the next quarter. Just nobody's listening. (laughs) Or maybe it's the wrong people listening and we just don't want to hear from them. Yeah, fair enough. Your Jesus is bringing the flow charts again this year. (laughs) (laughs) I love me a spreadsheet. Jesus can bring a spreadsheet anytime he wants, okay? Uh, on this sort of thread, your film's characters all display depth and agency, and even in, shall we say, dire circumstances, they seem to know the weight of their actions. So I think here there's certainly even more weight to their actions, I'm thinking. Aw. Yeah, I think, well, you know, that almost sounds more appropriate for the other film that we have, that I think it's going to be announced in the next few weeks that it's Ooh. moving a bit forward. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jennifer and I, 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 a few years ago, they even announced it. Uh, Jen and I got hired to adapt a video game into <gasps> a film with Radar, uh, which is the, com- they, they've done a little series called Jumanji, all of them. They're just, they've done the Amityvilles. They're just, they're just, um, my, my boss, Ted Field, he, uh, he co-founded Interscope Records and he's just like the coolest boss on the planet. And, uh, the, the new movie that we're making with them is, is very much about those kinds of uh, topics. And the funny thing is, uh, I think after Rabid, which was like one of the hardest movies we ever pulled off in our career, I feel like we got out of the woods. I, I don't want to say like knock on wood. This is when the monster breaks out of the wall and murders me. But I honestly <laughs> like... I, we Jen and I got in a really good place and really good partners. Like I'm, I'm so excited about this new series and all the people that we're working with. And it's, it's so nice that everybody's making the same movie for the same reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I would also touch back on, on, on the edge and like our overall work with our characters having like integrity and human dignity. I find that there's just so much like 
media where every character's stupid, you know, and you don't like them and they make choices that there's no redemption for them either. And yeah, everyone likes to watch a certain amount of Simpsons and family guy kind of stuff where it's like, haha, we're all terrible. But you know, once we get to the place where like, oh wow, we're horrible pieces of shit, how do we how do we find redemption? Like when you get to that horrible part where it's like, oh well you should just give up. I really like to tell stories about why you shouldn't. And I think, funnily enough, <laughs> a lot of our movies and a lot of our art coming up is going to have more positive, I don't want to say endings, but it's going to be more They'll positive be more positive, than the other but ones. I don't know. I mean, I remember we were shooting one sequence from On the Edge, and it was so... <laughs> It was so hardcore. I walked away and said, wait, this might be the last one, guys. I think it might be romantic comedies. I'm just getting <laughs> I'm an old woman. I can't do this. About 20 minutes in, girls, your boyfriends are going to try to walk out and don't let them. Something, <laughs> there is something that happens, and I won't spoil it, but I will say that there are so many women. Yeah, this won't ruin it. But there's so many movies where women are absolutely brutalized by these guys and yeah. like sexually. And by the end, they're like, oh, I'm so into it. Thank you. So I'm tired of movies like that. It, for me, it's so hilarious and empowering <laughs> to see someone like Mr. Satana really giving some tough love to Peter. Yeah, well, I... I I found out that Jen Lynch used American Mary scenes uh, for her acting class. So the first, the most intense, one of the more intense scenes I wrote that because I was like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're in acting class and you read it and you're like, the girl part sucks. I feel like when guys will get this, they'll be like, man, I don't want to do this scene with her. This is going to be insane. Please don't make me do this scene. Please don't make me do this scene. And they're like, it's an easy scene. I'm like, she's going to be insane. Yeah. <laughs> No character <laughs> suffered like Peter. He really, really goes through it. Yeah, it's like the kink version of, uh, what was that Mel Gibson movie? A Passion of the Christ. <laughs> what, what was it? <laughs> man, man. What was it? It did pretty good. Um, the the Passion of the Christ, yeah. yeah. It's like a kink version of Passion of the Christ. It is. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also like a, a dirtier version of Hard Candy. Yeah, <laughs> if it was a Bible study class. Oh, yeah. I remember what. <laughs> And being like, there's not enough movies like this. Or Misery. Oh, it's oh. like, it's like oh, a yes. really sexual misery. <laughs> misery was... You know, a sexual tone in that Misery. It was so sexual. But man, she she ruled with like uh, cock-a-doody and clean language. Like, oh, God bless scared. her. God bless her. Yeah. And a giant sledgehammer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know in the book, she actually cut his fucking feet off. Oh yeah. my God. Yep, the sledgehammer was where the studio was like, hey, maybe something like he'll recover from eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Not by much, but we, what the heck. And, you know, that depends on the break. <laughs> oh, right? You, you know, you might be better off with a clean cut, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just do it audition style, right? Next foot. Get the piano wire out. Oh, man, singing that little song while you do it. Oh. Yeah. Now, we, we have spoken a lot about Jen Yu as Mr. Satana, and Sylvia, you're Claire, am I right in oh. what they're saying on the interwebs, that yes. you're the, the wife in, yes. in this case? I, now, am, I am third on the call sheet, my good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> I love it. Now, I'm, I'm just um, thinking, there could be a, a duality at play that would be very, very interesting, possibly akin to Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. 
Ooh, now, well, you, you can know, plead the fifth and not answer. I'm treading on spoilers, but I mean, what the well, hell? Well, thank you for asking for something. I'm still keeping under wraps. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I will speak loosely, but give you delicious morsels of information. Um, I got to play my fantasy in this movie. Oh, it is my perfect fantasy. I remember David Cronenberg being, people were like, why is this all like this? And he's like, because these are my sexual fantasies. And I was like, man, I need to answer more questions and make more movies like David Cronenberg. Yeah. That guy's a rock star. I didn't even know that was an option. So I was like, this is a this is a life fantasy kind of. I think it's really fun. And I actually play multiple characters, although Claire mm-hmm. is probably the only one you'll really notice, although something might happen to Claire at some point. I'm a big fan of Silent Hill, especially Silent Hill too. So yeah. Ooh. Be prepared for off yeah the movie <laughs> has you, Jacob's ladder feels too did you see that there's going to be a silent hill related stream on wednesday with all the news about the upcoming uh like games and other things they have cooking oh my god no i'm I'll sorry send you, i'll, like I'll send you I'll a, a calendar link thing for oh, it. oh thank you i'm still upset that we'll never see a hideo kojima helmed silent hill Oh man! Would it have been like Death Stranding? It would have been really confusing. <laughs> Just <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> I've been walking down this hall for ten hours. Am I playing it right? Yes, you're doing good. Just don't fall over. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> 18 hours you're like w- i just want to see a monster please a day or just one <laughs> amazing <laughs> okay i'm sorry i have to i just totally derail for two seconds but you guys are such cronenberg fans have you seen blood and donuts no, no. oh what my is god donuts? okay so this up. you have to because it's deep cut canadian and cronenberg is in it and it's so <laughs> It's okay. You watch it and you get back to me and we'll have deep talks. Oh my God. He's a very good actor. Yeah. Tell them, tell them who he is in the movie. I'm not going to spoil it. Oh man. It's so good. (laughs) All right. And we'll leave it for a surprise. It's real good. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to check it after we're done there. I I can't, it's, I can't believe there's some Cronenberg things I've missed. Like one of my biggest embarrassments was when I met him and he asked me if I had read his book, which I bought, which I hadn't read. And I was like, (gasps) no, I'm so (laughs) (laughs) We did get to talk about Dead Ringers, which I I imagine for him was so meta. He He wanted to talk about Dead Ringers with us. It was the coolest moment of my life. After that, I was like, someone can shoot me. I peaked. It's not going to get better than talking to (laughs) Did you know he actually has a hearing aid and he said he adjusted it so only us could be heard by him while we were talking. And I was like, wow, that's the most romantic thing in the world. No pressure. Legitimately, oh. that is peak romance right there. Right? I can smooth. only hear you too. Oh, wow. Yeah. When when we're romanticizing someone with a hearing aid in one of our, our, our projects, you'll be like, oh, they're crushing on David Cronenberg again. I mean, that is a high key good line. Holy shit. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, uh, I know. He's got a lot of really good words. I'm, I'm really excited about his new movie, The Shrouds. It was going to be actually turned into a Netflix series, but now he's turning it into a series and it 
it deals with the death industry and uh, uh, Jennifer and I got a little peek at it and I think it's probably one of his most powerful pieces because it really deals oh. with uh, well he he lost his wife uh, over the last few years and then he wrote oh. this piece about it and it's so intimate that you almost feel uncomfortable reading it but it's so Cronenberg and it's so romantic it's one of the most romantic things I've ever read in my life yeah. because when somebody goes they're still there, right? And mm -hmm. it's a relationship you still have. David Cronenberg has Punisher levels of love. Like yes. even though his wife has passed, he continues to love her. His relationship, he said, like in like, anyways, you'll have to wait for the oh, movie. Oh yeah, you'll have to sorry. <laughs> for the movie. But it's unbelievable. It's, I can't believe Netflix didn't end up doing the TV series because they said they didn't know how to advertise it. I'm like, just write in the TV series from David Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. yeah they said it was it sells itself, people. Right? It does. <laughs> They said it was too dark, and I was like, "Don't you have shows about teens committing suicide? Like, let like, okay, just do a couple of episodes of his. He's gonna be fine. It's like, too dark. Years. It's too dark. How many people did Dahmer eat, and in what detail have we gotten <laughs> it? And you didn't even get consent to get that made. Like, I'm sorry, but you want to talk to dark people? Like, yeah. Uh, wait, they didn't get consent to get that movie made. Not from the victims, no. Oh, uh, of course not, because it's it. It's murder porn it's for murder them. Porn. They're tourists because they mm -hmm. just did it. Those other people have to live it, and they don't understand. Karma's going to get them. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's what I'm definitely going to miss because that's not cool. Yeah, well, the, the reason not to watch it. Thank you for that. I would have been yeah. kicking myself afterwards. No problem. <laughs> We've talked about a lot of people in your movie, Aramis. You guys, Mackenzie Gray is in this, who was so great in Rabbit. Oh, yes, Gunther. Oh, we yeah. love Mackenzie. We try never to make a movie without Mackenzie now. He is so talented, and he can play these great characters without turning it into a character. And ever since he had that wonderful line, it's just a fucking head cold. Yeah. Oh, my God. In the middle of a rabies breakout. Yes. <laughs> Because I was like, haha, what a funny thing for an asshole to say. And I was like, uh oh. Nobody would ever say that. Uh oh. We, <laughs> oh, we might be witches, but we're only making happy movies. I will no never more. make no another more. movie about a virus. Me I swear. Promise. I swear never again. Yeah. Yeah. We're holding you to that. <laughs> you guys. I also saw this thing there are twin sisters beyond you ladies in the movie. Yes, oh there is, are. Is, is this a spoiler thing, or can we? Yes. Oh no, you can know. Yes, okay. so uh, it's a uh, Brienne and Alana Finn Morris, and they are also in a band called Fion. They are absolutely talented. Uh, I've been actually wanting to work with them for years. They actually are at the same label as uh, my best friend Kevy, who also produced on the Edge, and. Uh, once we met them, we're like, oh my gosh, I, I have to keep hiring them. We're actually, uh, we have this big twin movie that we're actually writing parts for them for, and it's going to be cast by almost entire twins. But Ooh. you see, you, a lot of the time when you see twins in a movie, it's just me and Jen, and I'm like, what? where are the rest of us? Let me put as many twins out in front yes. of y'all so you can just be like, oh, damn, there's a lot, and be like, yeah, more twins out there. Yeah, I love working with twins, and very rarely do twins ever direct twins. Yeah. And 
even more rarely, especially in a time where we're PC as we can be. Twins are still not playing twins. We're still stroking the ego of actors being like, I think I'll just play a sad version of me and that'll be a twin. (laughs) It's not like Jeremy Irons. There's always like one hot slutty version. And I'm like, I read a book once and I wear glasses and I don't understand my sister. I hate it. I just, (laughs) oh my God. Which one was it that I know what you did last summer? And it was about the TV series. Oh my God. Spoiler. It was about a twin getting her sister sister murdered and then she took her identity but no one realized she was the other twin it was i <laughs> it can't. was so close-minded about our people it was i was i was another like, hurtful stereotype and <laughs> like, everybody would be like sylph did you murder jen you're totally pretending you're being her right now and i'd be like what no i'm jen totally like <laughs> I love you. you're gonna see more of us using especially these girls too they had they're they're great in it too. I love casting people who don't watch horror movies in horror movies. Oh yeah, there was a there was a scene that we did, and they were, they were like, I, "This is getting really bad for my anxiety. I have to leave right now." But it was such a beautiful compliment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that must be so intense if you're not already familiar with at least some element of horror. <laughs> right? Well, and also when you do like a, a scary scene, you do it over and over again, especially if you're like, oh, I'll just do the stabbing part over and over again. And you're like, I, I just can't hear the screaming and the yelling and the person fighting for their life. Like our, Jen had Princess Diana, her Rottweiler on set. And every time we said cut or we let the dog go, she would run over to Aramis and kiss him being like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Diana is also trained to take, you know, if you have anxiety, depression, or PTSD, she's trained to come over and console you. So, uh, yeah, she just kept running over and thinking everyone was being attacked. And she's also a protection dog. So she doesn't know the difference between saying I'm going to kill Aramis and actually meaning I'm going to kill Aramis. It's just Aww. pretend. Uh, pretend. <laughs> she is a big girl now, right? How old is she? She is four and a half. I still remember when I saw the Wonder Woman movie and I heard Diana, no, Diana, no, over and over again. I thought, that's a good name for a dog. (laughs) 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 Right? That's all I could think about. I was like, Diana, no, Diana, no. That is spectacular. Uh, you mentioned Kevy from Fake Shark. He's now the producer. Is he doing the music this time around too? Yes, he is. And uh, this is going to be the first time he's composing the entire soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And it's utterly amazing. It's, I mean, it's kind of like Rebel Without a Crew. We got all of our friends together. Uh, it was a closed set because of, obviously, the content. Uh, every day was a closed set. And also, it was a closed set because of COVID. You wanted to keep the crew small, and you didn't want anybody mixing up with anybody and getting everyone sick. So it was Yeah, we made a promise. We'd all die together. I was like, none of you bastards get sick. <laughs> Guys, we died together. <laughs> Just never turn off the camera. But it was it, it was amazing because uh, this is the first time Kevy actually came on as a producer. And yeah. uh, almost all of the talent came from 604 or Comedy Here, uh, often his comedy label. He's won so many Junos for uh, producing different comedy albums here in Canada. He's kind of like the, the Midas touch. And it was it's funny because uh, this movie's so dark. We're like... Everyone else should be a comedian. Everyone should be a comedian that's hired in this. So when we have to laugh, everyone's like, thank you for the joke. 
That's amazing. Actually, I love that concept. Because horror comedy is its own thing, but just having like a straight horror, like deeply horrific horror, but strictly with comedians, that's amazing. Thank you. The next one will start Anthony Jeselnik. I mean, he's made for horror, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Hitchcock was always, that's how you bring the audience up and down. You throw a little joke in here, and Psycho to him was a dark comedy. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) On the Edge is definitely funny especially if you're rooting for me and not aramis it's hilarious it's different <laughs> it's, it's wild because people have different reactions either they go on aramis's side or they go on jen's side and it's they're all like holy shit i can't believe this is happening i always <laughs> tell people when they start watching they're like oh my god i'm scared i'm like root for me you'll be good <laughs> noted <You're going. laughs> could make for multiple viewings you could you take a different path like choose your own adventure i'll i'll follow mr satana this time and peter the next time and we'll see what happens oh my god bob that's brilliant we'll do that let's do that it's meant to be watched twice because the first time it's gonna you're gonna have a pretty hard time but once you watched all the way, you're going to have, oh, an aha moment. You'll get another very crucial piece of information. Mm-hmm. And then you can rewatch it and enjoy it a, a little bit more. And you'll pick up on things where we're tipping our hat to like, oh, we're telling you a little story here. I think we give you three breathers in the movie. Three breathers? I think you get three breathers. Depends on what you breathe at. Because like, one of those breathers <laughs> crying a moment so i don't think you th- i don't think you think that's what it is people are gonna <laughs> you're not gonna be like oh, i'm not scared but now i'm crying what a relief <laughs> i don't know i don't have a gauge for how normal people react <laughs> i've gotten my american mary pilot sent back so many times and they keep saying it's too scary and i'm like is it <laughs> i don't know I'm just- <laughs> uh, a, a pilot for a television long Form TV, 12 episodes, 15. What were we looking at? Oh, yeah. We're actually, Jennifer and I have a five series, uh, season. Season, five season act for Miss uh, Miss Mary Mason. And uh, we're very lucky to be partnered with David Cronenberg's producers, uh, Martin Katz and Karen Wookie. And we've been developing this American Mary series for, for a long form. And I guess it's, it's tricky because with movies, uh, you have an hour and a half to really tip your hat. And it's a slower seduction when it comes to television. But at the same time, I'm still like, oh, I want to give them that American Mary moments. And I feel like sometimes an American Mary moment happens and people are like, oh, God, please. Why did this happen? And I'm like, that's American Mary, though. And then they go make jokes. <laughs> right on the page is so scary. I've had so many people read something and then watch it after and be like, "Oh, I, I it, it was really artful." I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, it's your mind that's making it extra, extra dark." I know I write terrible, terrible things, but they happen off camera. You can just hear them. We should yeah. just put nice words in there. It looks like a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as to on the edge will we be getting a trailer soon yes the trailer (laughs) perfect (laughs) we actually do have a trailer and uh it was supposed to um come out today but the publication i think thought it was too scary i think yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
they, uh, um, it has come out, and thank you, Hollywood Reporter. Yay! Thank you, Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> I'm sorry for the other other scariness, but we do have other places that we're going to place it. But that was also fun to be like the the teaser is really it's it, it's it's really really intense. But I don't want anyone to go into the movie and not know like. It's human centipede, and they're going ass to mouth. You know, like I don't want someone to come and be like, "If someone's like, oh, she looks so nice in that lingerie, I think I might just want to watch her walk around in it." Yeah, but just know that you really suffer to look at that. You really do. There's a lot of other stuff happening. Um, actually, guys, we'll email it to you after we're done this. Oh yeah, we will. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was going to say, if you're looking to host it on other sites um, or exposure for it, uh, we should talk after the show because I uh, write for JoeBlow.com and Arrow in the Head. Oh, so, that would be you. wicked. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll chat once uh, once we're all wrapped up here. Nice. Yeah, yep. There you go. Way to go, Steve. Yeah, that'd be a I great fit for Arrow in the Head. <laughs> I can definitely, I can definitely bring it to them and 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 see what they say. So we'll talk about it afterwards, Bob. Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, um, will we see a U.S. theatrical release and then a future DVD Blu-ray somewhere eventually? Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, the thing about how we made the film, we didn't, we literally didn't tell anybody. We just secretly made it and then decided to be like, how? Let's see what's the soonest place we can premiere it and. Frightfest has always been so generous to us and we missed out on being there in the summertime. We were like, you know what? This is the most perfect place to premiere it. We still have um, interest in other places in North America and they haven't finalized or no one has put in a nice enough offer to take it in just quite yet. But I'm sure that it's also going to be here as well. I, I, really hope it ends up on shutter i'll say it right now as much as i i can't wait for it to be no released. i like all the american distributors that are interested i as do well as i do <laughs> i do absolutely it's just the kind of movie that it's gonna be a one yeah if you can see it on imax please do it's gonna be like a what the fuck did i just watch but it's also on the flip side definitely the kind of movie that you want to watch with your significant other and and turn to them and be like, which parts were you into? I have a list. You know. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so we're starting with the UK and uh, we're going to be kind of spreading out. And also the kind of magic thing about Fright Fest is we met Luna Wolf at Fright Fest when we were doing press for Rabbit and we became buddies after that. So it's kind of like a magical thing because like, you know, sometimes you make a friend at a film festival, and then you all get together and you make a movie. I, I think, uh, I think people feel sometimes that making movies is almost like an elitist thing or there's A, B or C reasons why they can't do it. Nah, man, go out and make a movie. I mean, there's so much crap out there. You're probably going to have a big hit to be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I <laughs> Look, you, you began with a $2,500 film. That's a heck of a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. It really could do a pass on sound now that I watch it. <laughs> but to be honest, most people are so drunk watching it anyways, it doesn't matter. It's an abstract idea. It's part of it. It's part of the lore that it was like, it sounds cheap. Yes, I believe it was made for $2,500. <laughs> I really can hear it. <laughs> Look, but there's going to be a soft spot in my heart always for low-budget Canadian films. I love that stuff. 
Oh, thank you. You. <laughs> you must love Astron 6 then. Have you seen their stuff? A thousand percent I do. <laughs> God bless them. We are actually planning uh, a long-awaited Twisted Twins Astron 6 co-production. Yeah. Amazing. We're going to dive into some miscellaneous stuff before we sort of find our way to the door. Bronwyn, I know you've got a couple. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious. We talked a little bit about um, your twin selves being misrepresented in media and things like that. So I kind of wanted to touch on what your favorite part of being a creative team with your twin is. Oh, this is Sylvia. I love working with Jen because it's like having a better, a Tyler Durden hallucination, but I'm not mentally, well, I'm not mentally ill in the way that I have the hallucination. But you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's nice having that buddy there and you always have somebody to throw ideas off of. Like people are always like, what's it like being a twin? And I always want to ask them, but I don't want to know the answer because it's probably gonna be sad. What's it like not having a twin? Like, she can feel how I feel. It's like we share thoughts. Sometimes like we'll both have the same idea and then we'll start talking about it at the same time. And we'll be like, Oh, that's neat. Like I couldn't even imagine not having somebody that I, I got to share my life with this much. And it's funny. Cause like whenever I write something, I write it and I know she's going to be the one to proofread it after. And if I hear a laugh or a reaction and Jen's a tough critic, I know I did something really good. And it always makes me feel like super proud. Aww. That's amazing. Back to this. Is that my funeral? No. I'm going to get in a fight and I'm going to play this and I'm going to hold it in a boombox over oh, my you head. Should. And be like, fight, I love you. No, I, I really do love so. My favorite thing about uh, everything about having a twin is I felt my entire life was complete when I started. I think people are sold a story that they're. They need to find a partner. They need to find a buddy. And it really does help if you have like a little community with you. But I always had somebody watching my back. I always had somebody to give me an opinion on like my art or an idea or talk out my feelings with me. And I don't think I would be the, I definitely wouldn't be the person I am today without her. And she might be (laughs) a a raging psychopath. (laughs) She is. But I will tell you that is the price you pay for like the great art that she is. Like she's like an Andy Warhol. She's like a Vincent Price. She's an Alfred Hitchcock. She is one of the Mary Shelley to throw a chick in that list. But she really is. She really is an amazing talent and the kind of idea like almost 40 years of ideas and stories that we've been making up together. And still she surprises me with great things or something fucked up will happen and she'll be so cordial and I'll be like, how did you do that? Why did you set them on fire? We could have done it together. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's it's amazing to have, you know, so many people let you down in life and it's always the people that you love the most and that's never happened with her. So that's what I love. That she's perfect. It's fun directing you. I mean, I always was a little jealous of Jen because obviously we auditioned for the same parts and Jen would get everything, like to the point where sometimes I would have to be pre- pretend to be Jen because she double booked work. And they'd be like, oh, you're Sylvia. Haha, you can't get that past us. I know what it's like on the other side now. I know why the actors crave your approval and your attention. Oh, am I cool? Oh. No, 
because you're like the queen. It's like you're the king and you're like, have I made God happy? No, you made made me very happy. You did such a good job. There are parts where I was like, oh, if if because she's my sister, she won't give me as much shit as she should for this. But this was a very hard day. Oh, yeah, there were some hard days. And also I was like, from moment one, I'm okay with people looking at my bum. Let's let's put it out there right away. It really <laughs> helped people. I think it was funny because, like, I mean, like... It was a oh, bit cheeky, yeah. You know what? No. It is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, it's Zaytana, isn't it? Mistress Zaytana? And we got looked over for Zaytana? Um, is it Zaytana or Zaytana? Anyways, she was... No, she always, we'll never have I, to know now, right? I was very pro-pantsless oh. pro for her. Just like if I ever got a Miss Marvel, I was like, please let me start her in the bikini because I want to talk about this one because I want to talk about that because that is a part of showmanship. Like, I have so Too many... Too many years watching wrestling, clearly. I have so <laughs> many... I was about to say that I have so many friends that are professional wrestlers and I can't help but blush when they come over in their little underwear out fit and talk to me and I'm like I'm Catholic I shouldn't be here and it's it's just a lot of good fun like I think it's I think that there should be more body positivity in that and thank god it was the summer some days you and Aramis were so naked I was like I'm so sorry there's no clothes for this part here's your robe well it was a good learning experience because I'm a Hungarian girl I put a lot I like so much needless effort in to like anything yeah. to walk the dog and pick up a shit yeah you know it's crazy but <laughs> mr satana was at this whole other level and i was like to aramis i'm like is it this exhausting to know that you're like someone's sexual fantasy and you're like am i blowing this am i hot i don't know anymore <laughs> <laughs> are my eyelashes even is that gonna ruin it for you <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um do you have a new or newish horror movie recommendation that we should see by the way i saw a movie called suburban gothic recently and i'm watching all of a sudden this cat dennings is in this all of a sudden you gals are walking up the, the aisle in a, in a funeral that's right we're everywhere oh yeah <laughs> that's the great ricky bates uh he's he's such a fantastic director actually he has a new movie called king knight that's out that you guys should check out okay. it's uh it's about a cult and marriage yeah i i love Ooh. funerals I, I didn't even know they were making a movie i just showed up yeah i was there <laughs> I saw Ray Wise and I was like, oh, hello. And off we went. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ricky was kind enough to have us cameo. I think it's kind of fun because I think maybe because we're twins and we're kind of weird personalities, people are like, let's sprinkle a little Saska in here. See what happens. Like, There is a cameo <laughs> that we've done that if you can see it in a theater, you have to see. It's Glenn Danzig's new film, Death Rider in the House of Vampires. And it is a blood-soaked punk rock spaghetti western epic and uh, i will say what the parts that we are are gratuitously sexual and gratuitously violent yes and like <laughs> gratuitously my my scene partner for my gratuitously violent sexual scene was mr fred armison and it was mm-hmm. his first oh. horror movie which I was, I was like oh my god my mom's gonna be so proud of me snl's alumni sylvia Soska chewing up this scene it's gonna be beautiful (laughs) (laughs) i will check both of those out i love it we're gonna finish up as we try to do each time with that that beloved game it's the fast five but this is a halloween edition of the fast five so first thing that comes to your mind when i say the question all righty 
Okay. 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 Question and answer. I shit. Fuck. Did I screw it up? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> your your favorite Halloween candy is arrow. Arrow. Kit Kat. <gasps> oh. I need my break. I like the book. <laughs> <laughs> your best Halloween costume ever was. Catwoman. Catwoman. <gasps> oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I, I think Bronwyn actually has a follow-up for this one. Oh, I, I do, actually. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if you were going to pick each other's Halloween costumes, what would you each be dressed as? Oh, wow. Oh, I'd really <laughs> want to pick someone you want to be, but I don't want to mess it up. Well... I know you have a clown fetish. So maybe... I do. Don't, don't stop it. No. <laughs> I would just throw you in the most banging Harley Quinn costume so you can have all the weird clowns throwing themselves at you. And also I could gently nudge you towards the poses and ivies. Like, oh, hmm. yes. I like that. Oh, also, <laughs> if I ever go to anime con, I could just dress as Gon and look for all the Hezekas. That's for you anime fans out there. Little Hunter Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Who would you be? You? I would do you up as Morticia. Oh, yes. Or, or uh, Vampira. You have a you have a very Mela Nermi kind of a horror queen kind of look to it. Oh, thank you. I, that's what I wear every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, here's one. Your favorite scream queen is Danielle Harris. Yes. Oh, oh, nice. Just about to rewatch See No Evil Two again. I was mentioning to our oh. My friends here that it's a sequel that you don't have to see the original to get because you put a nice montage early on. You get everything you need, and the characters are so great. She's wonderful. Uh, Glenn, of course, as as our resident slasher, amazing. <laughs> a man so reluctant to kill teens, and that's all he does in the movie. I can't yeah. even <laughs> he was actually studying for his insurance company that he was starting. So he'd be there and he'd be reading insurance stuff with his glasses, drinking tea. And I'd be like, Glenn, can you murder everyone? He'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Danielle Harris is the strongest woman in the universe. I don't care if she's like five foot nothing. She would rip Michael Myers into two equal pieces, uh, like Captain America ripping the log apart. Yeah, yes, <laughs> she is crazy. Like she is a survivor. She was trapped in a elevator three times and kicked and climbed her way out every time. Wow. She is an Amazon. Yeah, yes. She is a, yeah, there's actually a few scripts that we have that we've been writing for her because I think last time you talked to her, you were actually on her podcast. I was. I surprised uh, her guest. She was doing a. She's so good with her fans. She was doing a surprise watch along with See No Evil too, and I surprise showed up and I scared all the fans. They didn't want to speak to me. Oh. <laughs> no one very brave girl spoke because Danny put them on the spot. She was like, "You all had so much to say to them before they were here." <laughs> and then one girl thanked me for what we've done for womankind. Aww. And then I Aww. went right into my pillow and was very happy. You're such a hardcore director, Jen. I am. I didn't, I didn't cry on camera. I cried afterwards like a grown woman. Yes. Uh, if you could appear in a classic horror film, what would it be? Oh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm all about dreams and nightmares. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yes. I'm having an old friend for dinner. Right? <laughs> I'd dance with Buffalo Bill and be like, you know what? You do look good. <laughs> 
<laughs> that moisturizer's working. <laughs> working. A little crude, but yes, I would. <laughs> uh, uh, your go-to movie during Halloween, the one movie you have to watch during the, the season. Halloween. American Psycho. <laughs> oh, interesting. That is terrifying. <laughs> That's. Thank you so much for that. Anybody else have something else for Jen and Sylvie before we start to wrap this up a little bit? Just thank you uh, for joining us. That was so much fun. Yeah, seriously, oh, this has been amazing. As always, oh, yes. I love, love the energy guys. that you both bring to this show when you come oh. on. It's always such a treat. Oh, exactly. It's a treat for us, too. We have to do this in a pub one day. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys are so good for our self-esteem. Thank you. We've literally been little shut-ins making our weird, like, demonic porn movie, being like, hee hee, people are going to love it. Spoilers. You'll have to see. Anyway, we can't wait to come back to the other show, too. Yes, absolutely. And the next time that you're in Toronto, let Bronwyn and I know, and we'll drive out to meet you and hang out or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Actually, we're shooting a movie in Toronto so you guys should come visit set yes please yeah okay. absolutely i'll keep you in the loop on that but that would be awesome hopefully we'll be over there sooner than later i think spring at the very latest i think so too that's a good oh, time that'd be amazing we might yeah. preliminary awesome. go there in december just to be reminded by about how cold it is in toronto in december yeah that's fair yeah I'm from Vancouver. I didn't know what a minus 40 wind chill was because I was like, it's minus 10, but what's a minus 40 wind chill mean? Oh my God. It means you wait inside for the Uber. Yeah. 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 It means nothing good. (laughs) I'm sure after this wonderful discussion, people want to know where to find you on the internet and your sites and so on. So where can our listeners find you ladies? Please find us on Twitter. We are twisted underscore twins. We are the Saska sisters on Instagram. We are twisted twins productions on Facebook, but there's also Jen and Sylvia Saska. That's us. We we're I don't know. We're just weird art girls. We probably will have less friends to ask to be our friend. Who knows? We can be friends. I don't know. We also have a website, <laughs> twistedtwinsproductions.net. It connects you with all of our social media. And we have a little store. If you're like, oh, I want an autograph or something from the twins, get it from there. I also make occult a, a jewelry. I bless and curse whoever you wish. Yeah, she does. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome I love that <laughs> I, as I sit here in my kitchen I have a picture right in front of me oh, bless right you well you're yeah. blessed into the afterlife with that we watch over you and we damn your enemies from that picture I, I, I nice. thought that's been happening lately I appreciate it <laughs> I didn't know where it was coming from but now I know uh, again thank you Jen and Sylvia Saska and Keep a watch out for On the Edge coming soon. Oh, thank you. And happy Halloween. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, we are back. We would like to thank Jen and Sylvia Sasco once again for gracing us with their dark presence on the Talking Comics podcast. That was amazing. I feel like I need a shower. Cold shower. I can't wait to check out their new film and everything else that they have coming down the pike. 
Uh, love, I told this them or, to them earlier, but I'll say it again on the show. Just love the energy that they bring and love the conversations that we have. And it's really cool to reconnect with them every now and again on the show. And thank you to Bob for putting that all together and oh, arranging everything. My pleasure. It's always a delight to chat with Jen and Sylvia. So we had a chance with new projects coming. So it seemed the right moment with Halloween upon us. Can't Absolutely. wait to have them on Thursday on Tune. So yeah. excited. Coming soon. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, amazing. We might be seeing a lot more of them in the future. You never know. Mm. All right. Let's talk about the books that we're looking forward to this week. Bob, what are you thinking about picking up? World's Finest number eight. We also have Harley Quinn, the animated series Legion of Bats by T. Franklin. And we have Shea Beagle on that one. We have Captain America Symbol number six, Defenders number four, Catwoman 48. All right. Aaron, what is in the pool of possibilities this week? So the pool might be a little bit more shallow now, but uh, Thor 28, X-Men 16, World's Finest 8, X-Force 31, Dark Crisis Young Justice 5, or I might just wait till next month. Who knows? Uh, Defenders Beyond, uh, Duo 6, or I might just wait till next month. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> DCPD, The Blue Wall. That's our, her name on Toya Situation. Ooh. Ah. Bronwyn, what are you looking forward to this week? I am looking forward to Down to Earth with my lovely little green-haired alien girl. Um, the Stare Down, because that's always a good time. Um, defects, when are you coming back to me? I'm dying for season two. <laughs> <laughs> Be my villain because I can't. I can't with Be My Villain. I need it in my life all the time. Oh my God, Bob, read Be My Villain. Okay. <laughs> you will love it. Um, and crushed my hockey boys. And also, big shout out to Jamie by Indigo Arts, uh, our friend Bree that we met, who's a phenomenal artist. And I love, love, love this little slice of life comic. So, looking forward to that. Awesome. Sounds good. So here's where DC Infinite Universe comes in handy. Listen to this list. Aquaman Andromeda number three. Batman the Night number 10. Batman One Bad Day. One Bad Day. The Penguin number one. Batman Superman World's Finest number eight. I am Batman 47. <laughs> Catwoman 48. GCPD The Blue Wall number one. Nightwing 97. And Rogues number four. Woof. That whole chunk... If if they go according to their own rules, will be available in a month on the DC app. Imagine, think about how much money saving that is. Yeah, there's twenty bucks, twenty five bucks, bro. Oh, that's yeah. more than that. That's way more than that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, and about four to five dollars okay. each. Yeah, wild. Oh, Joey, we're happy to see they got Black Adam number one out there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Black Adam is coming out in theaters. Is that this coming weekend? No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my god, I hurt you so hard. <laughs> Let's just move on. And here I was just about to tell everyone that Dwayne the Rock Johnson's coming on next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Again, mm -hmm. no one cares. Um, other books in my pool are Defenders uh, Beyond number four, X Men sixteen, Public Domain number five, and Shirtless Bear Fighter two number three. So, Oof. 
Went from 13 books to four. Not bad. Impressive. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, Think of all the other things you're going to be sifting through there, picking up along the way. That's right. You didn't even know you wanted to read. That's right. I'm catching up on some old stuff. It's gonna it's gonna be a whole new world, whole new world. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll uh, I'll be very curious to see what kind of rhythm I fall into, and I wanna I wanna explore the app a little bit more and uh, see what the release schedule is like. Is it? It's probably exactly a month out from the day that it hits so. stores regularly, right? I'm just waiting for Marvel to say we'll pull it out three weeks later. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <more>. right. <laughs> I'm just waiting. What a do, month what do comic stores sweet. think about this? I wonder. I'll have yeah. to we'll have to touch base with some. Yeah, that's yeah, the other part of the conversation is is how much is this taking away from there? But like as someone who doesn't really read physical anymore and needs to save money, this is a very good deal for me. So mm-hmm. I think I think we you just hit the nail on the head. Like, and I think we've had this conversation before. Those people that are reading digital are going to lean into this because they're already leaning digital. But those people that are all going into their comic shops and have an LCS, sorry, Joey, um, <laughs> have an LCS, um, that's part of their ritual. They're going to continue yeah. to do that. So I don't necessarily know if there's going to be a significant impact here. I think you're. I think you're literally just this crowd is going to be a subset of the crowd that is already digital. So there won't be any material impact to comic shops. I don't believe the only money we're taking away is from Amazon. You're welcome. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Amen. Yes, exactly. Say, you know, thank us for this. All right. Does anybody have any uh, closing statements, anything they'd like to share before we get out of here? Nope. Nope. I am All right. happy. We've got one more episode until Halloween comes rolling around. So we want to know what your costumes are this year. <laughs> Tweet us, email us, let us know. Oh, yes. We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions. And we do have some comments and questions stored up for maybe next episode. We were going to do Ooh. some this time, but we're going to save them. Uh, send them to our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. You can send us your quizzes your questions, your, your whatever, uh, go to Spotify, rate us with five stars. Let people know you like this podcast. Yes, Helps please. us move up in the ranks. What's that? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are also on Twitter at talking comics, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talking Aaron, how about you? At Aaron J. Amos. Broadway. You can find me at shiny baby B on all the things. Hooray! John is uh, at John P. Burkle on Twitter. Joey is at Joey Ricino. Chris is at The Myth of Psyche on Twitter. I am at Dead underscore Anchorus on Twitter. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you, Aaron. Yes, thank you, Aaron. I'm trying something new, (laughs) damn it. Thank you, Bronwyn. (laughs) Why, thank you, Steve. (laughs) Good Lord. Thank you all for listening. Be excellent to each other. I'm never doing that again. And until (laughs) next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. Changes for (laughs) a